I'm sitting next to Kelly Wand when a trailer plays for the new Dune movie. Worms emerge out of the sand. Kelly nudges me. No, I say. Come on, he says. So I stand up, pump my fist, and yell, Melange! I sit back down and he face palms. The trailer for a reboot of Mystic Pizza comes on. Kelly nudges me again. No. Come on, he says. I like you. So I stand up, pump my fist, and yell, Crust! I sit back down and he face palms again. How many times are you going to try to make me do this? I ask. Kelly stands up, pumps his fist, and yells, Thrice! Ryan Gosling stands up in front of us, turns around and says, I just want to say that a lot of things rhyme with drive, so you guys should consider a new running gag. Also, I'm available as a podcast guest, but I will only play the piano on your show. I will not speak. After he sits back down, a trailer for a new Mel Gibson sequel about Jesus comes on the screen. Kelly nudges me again. I'm not yelling that, I say. Come on, he says, it'll be funny. And Usher tells us to leave the theater. As we leave, Tom, at the end of the row, whispers, Please get to the point, Angus. I whisper back, It's Moronsky. Once in the lobby, Kelly takes out his vape pen, and I head to the bar for a beer. We plan to sneak into the new Tyler Perry movie, playing on screen three, to preempt what you jokers are about to do to us. Which is this. Welcome to the 2019 Make Us Watch Whatever You Want Fund Drive. Just donate a dollar and vote for a movie you'd like us to review. In past years, we've done two animated movies, one by accident, and a movie about a dozen Sibians. It's up to you to choose what we do this year. You can choose whatever you want. Thomas secretly told me he wants you to do a... uh, grandpa movie. Kelly wants something that has plenty of redemption at the end. All you have to do is donate a buck. I mean, you can donate as much as you want, but every dollar you donate is a vote for the movie you choose. So you can choose to donate five bucks for, say, uh, Midnight Run, which will give that particular masterpiece five chances of winning, or you can spread your five bucks over five different movies. Just donate to paypal.me slash qt3 or PayPal us directly at 3x3 at quarter23.com. Please make sure to include the movie you want in the comment when you donate. Remember, each dollar is a vote. The deadline for submitting choices is March 17th, 2019, when we will do the drawing. The winner will be the movie we do for our March 25th podcast. And to anyone who contributes, I stand up, pump my fist, and say, nice. for our 3x3 episode on grocery stores, courtesy of, oh, I'm Tom Chick, by the way, and our 3x3 is courtesy of Christian McCoskey. I would like to be known as Walter Carbajal. And with a grocery store's tagline, Kelly Wand. I'm not really into clubbing. I like to go to parties after events, and those do end up at clubs or bars. But in my free time, I go grocery shopping or to the gym, or I talk on the phone. What's Amanda Seyfried. Something Amanda Seyfried said in an interview. So it's about grocery stores, one of the things she does. The stars are just like us, Tom. You read that in an Amanda Seyfried interview? 
Yeah. Oh, I'm very informative, Kelly Wand. Yeah, she's Kelly totally Wand, did you happen to watch an Amanda Seyfried movie this week? Like maybe, uh, oh, I don't know. What's that Adam McGoyan one where she's a uh, prostitute? Oh, I don't know. Sounds okay. good, though. <laughs> okay, then did you watch Jennifer's Body? She's one of those ageless ladies. Like, uh, like Jennifer. <laughs> I'm pretty like sure Megan she Fox does have never an... see anymore. I'm pretty sure what? she does have an age. It's weird the girls from Mean Girls that went on to make other movies and then the ones that didn't are exactly the opposite. Mm. They're neat. Um, <laughs> the movie I saw, uh, I think I saw you making fun of it, <laughs> was uh, They Shall Not Grow Old, the Peter Jackson World War One documentary. Yeah, that's not a movie, but okay, tell us more about it. <laughs> it is a movie. No, it's not. It's a documentary. <laughs> no, it's got special effects, and it's got... Um, like there's no attributions; they just talk, and you don't. And it's like you don't know who's talking. It's just like random people talking, and uh, right, just documentary footage. Uh huh. Okay. No, but documentaries tell you this guy and his thing, and where he sits in front of a couch, <laughs> and so this just shows stuff. Well, it's because they're all dead; they can't sit on couches and talk. I don't get why you don't like World War One, dude. It's so interesting. No, I, so, I've got nothing against World War One. It's just we're on yeah, a movie podcast, Kelly Wan, not a documentary podcast. Okay, well, I'll talk about the movie part of <laughs> no, it. Okay, uh, I actually do want to see this, but I uh, I, I missed it in theaters. I don't I've think you like it, Dingus would. I've heard it's pretty remarkable, though, so tell us about it. It starts out in black and white, and the footage is all herky-jerky, and then it switches to color when World War I starts, like Wizard of Oz. Because World War One, like Oz, is a land of magical enchantment, and houses land on people. And you're wearing magic shoes. They don't fit. But... Um, the only thing I'll tell you about it, because I don't want to spoil World War One for you, it's not <laughs> too soon. Is, don't tell uh, me the score. I don't want to know who wins. Uh, they're all because it's they're all British. It's about British people, and they don't get emotional. It's all stiff upper lip, and it's World War One. So like, yeah, they're like really looking forward to it. They make it sound like. And then the quote, my favorite quote from it is one guy's all, "We didn't kill anyone who surrendered, except the machine gunners." <laughs> yeah. But it made me think of Little Stranger, because they said when they got back, no one wanted to hear about it, and there was no work or reward of any kind. Man. Like, World uh, War One was the high point of their lives. And when they came back, like, so one thing that I have an issue with, I, I can watch horror movies with people getting their heads cut off and eviscerated and smushed and whatnot, and I just that stuff is just hilarious to you me. see real. I don't, yeah, I don't like seeing people get hurt for real, even like – most YouTube, like, I love YouTube videos where somebody, like, falls on their ass and is humiliated, but I don't like, I hate seeing videos where people are hurt, or there's a car wreck, uh, or, you know, when somebody's shot, or I, so that makes me really uncomfortable, and that's part of They Shall Not Grow Old, right? Mm. No, it's not that gory. Oh, well, it's not, not gory, them, but... like, in the trenches and okay. stuff. But you don't see actual okay because I was led no. to believe that it, it's pretty distur it can be disturbing but okay I was I was curious about that although I would have watched it just because it's history bro like I just was I'm like all right let's see I'll just try to grit my teeth and go oh what a nightmare that was but like they don't it's not that I would say you're fine okay it's there's no like on air gore do you feel that way about video games Tom like playing Call of Duty or something of course not. No, I do feel that way, and that I just like horror movies. I think that stuff's hilarious, and it doesn't bother me in the least, and I'm not at all faced by it. You know, but fake that's violence. Like me saying, right? Fake, fake violence, violence, I have game. no problem with. It's, what's weird is when I see a, a, 
and you know documentary footage of, of men at war, and I presume some of them are getting shot. Oh. I, I find right. that disturbing. YouTube videos of you know car wrecks and stuff. I I, I really find that disturbing because I don't. I, I react to people getting hurt for real like a normal person uh, when it's a fantasy or a dumb movie or something. I couldn't care less. There's this uh, – there were these Italian like – Pardon? I'm kind of like that. But I, well, I think I, I, any normal I go in. I, I mean I think if you're not a sociopath, you're like that. That tends to be a sign of a normal healthy human being is you, you react to seeing people hurt. And that's why horror movies and gore effects uh, – are difficult for some people is they don't have the kind of filter I have where I'm keenly aware of I'm watching a movie and I've seen enough of them. Mm. Uh, they react to it like you might react to a real person getting uh, hurt. Um, yeah, but they're idiots, I think. Not that they're idiots. They just don't have the filter. <laughs> they don't have the, the – like I, I tend to watch but movies. But if you tell are, them, look, it's lighting. This is what you're actually watching. Then they go, oh, okay. Well, I, I, I mean not everyone. Some people will react to, uh, to, to gore and scary stuff sure. differently. Because they get more wrapped up and they don't have as critical eye and they, they don't see as many dumb movies as, as we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. They're just squeamish. Actually, I thought of smart people who, who are like that. But well, I can – I mean I, well, I, never, kids too. I never wanted to watch any of those Faces of Death videos. And I, no, and, you know, that's fake the, too. <laughs> and even though I could watch uh, A Mighty Heart, I, I, did, I did never – want to watch a video of somebody actually being beheaded on yeah i didn't watch it either and it's me so that's how right you are (laughs) there are these these uh horrible italian horror movies that like they're cannibal movies or something and one of them's infamous for having a bunch of animals like really killed yeah i have no no, desire to see that and there's even having a bunch of animals do what killed like it's just i mean they're dumb animals like turtles and stuff it's it's i can't yeah. remember the name of it there's one specific italian cannibal movie where the guy just had like little animals turtles and stuff like killed and yeah. that stuff isn't normally faked in a movie because you know because we can and uh so i Ow. i've never seen that and i have no desire to but there's a movie called oh shoot is it night of the wolf what's that post-apocalypse thing that where they actually kill a horse, and I didn't know until afterwards. Uh, well, Apocalypse Now, they kill that ox that cut its head off at the end. Oh, that's like real? The horse songs. Yeah. No, it's not. Come on. That's CG. Come on. Coppola? He doesn't give a... Coppola, the horse in Godfather, they just found a horse that was going to get killed anyway, so they actually, that horse did die that you see in Godfather. It was going to get chopped up. No, and that's Coppola's a fake wife. horse head. The Humane he Society says, wouldn't let them the... do that. What? Yeah, the Humane Society no, would shut him down. No, it has a distinctive uh, white nope. mark on its forehead. Nope, You're the Humane idiot. Society would shut it down. They'd say, okay, we're pulling the plug on this Godfather nonsense. Everyone go home. We're canceling it. You're like Trump. You just make up what <laughs> history is going on around you. World War I, just say that when you watch the movie. Go, ah, this is all It fake. is like, like watching old westerns where you know they really did trip the horse and a lot of the yeah. horses maybe were injured. Like yeah. it, it does feel it. I talked about that island of Dr. Moreau before where they have the, the Michael York one where they have the animals – uh, attacking people, and you can see a stuntman grabbing some poor declawed panther and jumping yeah. through a window and trying to make it look like the panther's attacking him. And that's just that stuff is I, I just really uncomfortable no. watching that because I'm keenly aware you guys it's were dicks. Worse. You guys were dicks to these animals because it was before you know we did have the humane society before on the set. Humane, yeah, yeah, of course. No, no, that's way worse. And the animal doesn't even know what the fuck's going on or why this is happening. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, like I even get mad when they yell at an animal. I'm really sensitive <laughs> to that stuff. So I'm worse than you. But, you know, I'll make an exception to your World War One documentaries and just... Uh, 
Well, did it did it feel weird seeing like? Do you just sort of the same way you sink into reading subtitles? Did it feel weird seeing it colorized, or did you? Does it just start you to get feel used natural? To it. Okay. And it's also interesting to see because they fix the uh, frames per second, so it looks right. like real documentary footage, and the colors are kind of washed out, so they look it. The, you kind of, I don't know. It's just interesting to see those tanks and those guys like walking at normal speed. That's something right. you've never seen before in your life. You've never seen something from that era at the right speed until this movie. So in a way, it's it's the avatar of <laughs> what? But it's like the the genius movie made wasn't even restoring it. Like that's awesome. But like I said, he doesn't he doesn't tell you who people are. You don't really it, like he kind of gets their dialogue to kind of sync up with what's going on in the footage. But he doesn't go. This is from that battle, and this right. is from this. It's just like, dispassionately just... presented fly on the yeah. wall stuff. And yeah, it's, yeah. yeah you, uh, that's actually a really smart thing to do because you're not going to remember the names anyway and you don't care. And so the impact of it is just like, this is what it felt like to be around that kind of, like when this was going around around you all. Right, right. And it's really not, like there's not enough, like that's probably the one thing I would say, I would warn people who want to watch it, like you want to see a lot of gore and war footage, you might not like it because it's not really about that. It's just like a day-to-day existence kind of thing. And, like, you see them fire the guns and, like, other guys in the trench going, ugh. And there's, like, a couple bodies. <laughs> but that's okay. Because as one guy goes, he goes, the dead's not a big problem because there's nothing you, you have to worry about them medically. <laughs> these are British people saying these things. So they're like, <laughs> yeah, you tea. Oh, you got to kill the rats with the shovel. Yeah. Nice afternoon. Hello. All right, also, so too, I... That's the other thing is the sound is restored also. I think it's just made up sound. I think. And so it's like you hear them talk. You're like, hey, you know, like, Why do you say you think? I mean, of course it is. They, it was, it's just footage. Like they're, they, well, maybe they weren't shooting with cameras. Maybe, yeah, I know. Yeah, it, it sinks and pops on it, I guess. Right, it's totally, it's totally uh, created. So that might take you out of it, if anything does. It's like you know the sound's fade. Right. Like, if it, I don't know. I was pretty riveted, though. Um, well, I've heard, too, like uh, the thing I heard is that he was real careful about – uh, the different dialects and where the the different companies yeah. were from. Like if they were from the Midlands, he would bring in Midland voice actors, or if there were Irish soldiers, or uh, so that there, there was a lot of. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of thought put into the visuals and the audio, and it's really cool to see uh, this forgotten chapter of history, or not forgotten, but but not as often underrated. You know, it's, yeah, exactly, it's, it's no World War Two. Like World War Two is super sexy and glamorous, and you have movies like Memphis Belle and. Uh, Stuff. Right, but World War One, nobody makes movies about World War One. No, but dude, yeah. it, they should though, because well, the, well, because all the footage is lost, so they go, oh, you're not even gonna feel like, I don't know, like they were making movies when World War Two happened. World War One was right. just, like, just exactly, missing. and we ha- we have more footage of things from World War Two, and uh, yeah, like media. Uh, yeah. As a war, World War One's fascinating to me, yeah, and the idea it was the last war because you have machine guns and horses, like you didn't have that yeah. in World War Two, like you have this this dawn of technology and like machinery that can kill you and mat and, and gas warfare and trench. Well, aircraft. Like, everything I mean, come it. on, why? Yeah, just go to aircraft. That's uh, it was the dawn of aircraft using war. And then you, yeah. you you put that in perspective. It's like that's what that's what it turned into. And it started. If you go online, you can see the car that Archduke Ferdinand was riding in. It's like this totally rickety jalopy. <laughs> it's open to the air and it's made out of wood and crap and crepe paper and it's like a guy was writing that with his wife and got shot and this is what happened because of that and then you just go to cut to mustard gas and machine guns and horses like shelling horses with artillery (laughs) all quiet 
on the Western Front is. I love that movie. Yeah, it is. That's well, I, I love that book. I mean, I was shocked at how much I love that book. I mean, uh, I don't really know the movie as well. As, I haven't read it. Um, as, oh, the the book. You should read it because you, when you I hear you talk like that about a book, I always. Oh. I I think you would dig it. It's it's really well, they liked Master Commander. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love period piece war stuff. It's always fascinating. I was shocked. Like I Stephen thought, Pressfield. I thought I was just going to be eating broccoli. Um, and it was just fascinating to me. It had so much weird... And it's the Germans, which you never get as... Yeah, yeah. It had so much weird darkness and some dark humor in it. It was... Uh, it's it's a really well-written book. All right, I'll read that soon, actually. Pretty sold me on it. Because it sounds short, too. Uh, it was, you know, it takes me a long time to read a book, but it didn't take me too long to read that. You didn't read it in school? Um, no, no, I read it as an adult. Uh, I just decided to pick it up and read it. And I was shocked by it. So, because uh, I don't know anything about World War One other than what I've read in a couple of history books like that. Um, I mean, I like that's, they glossed that's it over at the time. Not a history book. Uh, but I, I don't know a thing about World War One, and All Quiet on the Western Front is really a fascinating read. Yeah, Tom's bored. All right, World War One, Tom. Give no, I, it's, I, th- I think it's, <laughs> no, I do. I do want to see uh, They Shall Not Grow Old, and I, you know, Dingus is right. I, uh, that's I, I, probably the all-time best book about story about war. I would say. You've read it? Yeah. Oh, good lord. Yeah. Is Red Badge of Courage good? I haven't read that. Let's save that for our book podcast. Dingus, what is a movie that you saw this week? (laughs) Sorry. Uh, That's probably really boring. I'm really torn between talking about two different movies that I saw that I really like. Kelly and I vote then. Tell us what they are, and me and and Kelly will vote for which one you talk about. Which I think is fun. (laughs) I like choosing. A movie called Aterados. Ha uh-huh. <laughs> ha. Oh, that's he tricked us. The other is a movie called Thelma. Oh, shoot. Uh, the moment he said Aterados, I was like, yep, I'm going to vote for that one. There's nothing he could say that I would vote for instead, but unfortunately it's going to be a split vote. So. Well, we know what he'll say about Aterados, so maybe Thelma's more. Well, I'm just wondering if there's any chance that we will do either of these on the podcast, in which case I won't talk about it. Uh, no, I mean, those are both old releases. I, I haven't seen old. Thelma, yeah. so I might zone out, but continue. <laughs> I, I'm going to vote for... Uh, I don't care. I abstain. I do want to know, Dingus, what, do you feel that Aterados is in NFD, not for Dingus? No, I, I, th- I thought it was totally for me. <laughs> wait, wait why movie. is it for you? Yeah, I would have agreed with Tom on that. It's it's creepy and weird and uh it's. parental and straight <laughs> it's just it's just got this i, I love this the parental this, the, yeah there's a parental aspect to it of course uh, yeah i just <laughs> yeah Hello? i guess i guess you're uniquely creeped up okay yeah it's an nfd pair parenting what what is she doing? compared to border border i thought was too for dingus <laughs> Compared to a Terados. Think okay, about what, what she, she's doing with her kid. Anyway, uh, I just love that I couldn't cook because yeah, I guess so. <laughs> That's why it's in a cemetery way. <laughs> yeah, all right. 
Well, I feel like Dingus tricks himself somehow when he watches these. Well, yes, Dingus, okay, so a cute uh, kid. That's a good actor. I, I like. I'd like to have a cute. He's a good actor in an origin city and. So Kelly and I really liked Atorados just because it's a freaky horror movie and it does stuff that general trashy American Blum pictures horror movies yeah. don't do. So right. clearly, it's Kelly and I are really into it. Dingus, just give us briefly. Uh, what was your takeaway from Atorados as a guy who's not? A horror hound like me and Kelly. Who's your favorite scientist? Uh, I like the idea of the movie telling me, uh, as a character tells another character, um, don't believe everything you see tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I just love. Which is hilarious because it can kill you. It's a stupid thing to tell them. But it. But I think it's also the movie t- telling me, don't believe everything you see tonight. You you don't know what's going on here. Uh, I believed you, all of it. Uh, I I really I really loved that. And um, uh, what was surprising to me was that you guys liked it because there were a couple of uh, I forget what the differences between cat and jump scares are, but there were a couple of those. No, there's a lot of jump scares in it. It's That's super more Tom's thing. Well, like it's it. also, I, I mean, I feel it's its kind of thematic, this whole idea of creatures that you can only see from a certain angle. Like, it, it earns, it, it it doesn't do the jump scare just because something is coming in from off the yeah, frame. The it's about monster. It's about monsters that will jump scare you. Like, that's the whole point of, of their ecology mm. or their, their... signature move. Exactly, that's their signature like move. Creep. Yeah. Uh, but also, I, yeah, just the vagueness of their... And the, the way they... The things they do are interesting. Like the grudge girl... Uh, what I what I what I really like about it and um, trolls, <laughs> is, trolls. Yeah, uh, that's not that's not far off. Um, the, there's this uh, connective tissue <laughs> between Thelma and Adorados uh, about water yeah, being tough. water being a conduit. Um, Shyamalan and, paging. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, I just I. I, I had to turn it off a couple of times because I got a, got freaked out because I'm uh-huh. easy scare. Uh, <laughs> ah, that's good. Uh, that's, that's compliment. But I really, really enjoyed it quite a bit actually. And it's a and good it's, movie. That's what tricked you into liking it. I think it's really well made. Uh, and I like the guy who, uh, and I don't, I apologize for not knowing the names. Uh, the guy who had the health problems who just kept. Like the detective guy, <laughs> yeah, the, the one sane guy. character. Although right. he's not sane about the kid, he's like, "All right, we'll just get rid of." Him. <laughs> uh, I love that character. He's your hero, and look what his whole thing is. But yeah. my favorite line in it is when um, the guys all the guys all to him. All right, we're, so we're gonna stay here tonight, and uh, and he's like, "Why?" And the guys, like, "Oh, to continue our investigation." And then the cops like. What? What the fuck? Why? Continue. You know what's going to happen? Have you seen that woman shower? Uh, it does bring to mind a little bit of VHS for me, I think. V- Which VHS? One? No, Wreck. I mean Wreck. Sorry. Oh, Wreck. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Right. Well, um, they were stuck yeah. there. In this one, they seek it out, even though it's something completely out, they're out of their depth on. So I like that. That was funny to me. All right, so Dinga, we got Dingus to see Atorados. And he Good thinks job. there's a Thelma connection. Yep. <laughs> but he's going to save it. <laughs> yep. 
You can. All right. You don't want to know what he said? He thought of Thelma, Tom? No, I thought he was going to tell us. Yeah. the rules. Uh, I loved Thelma. Um, I, you know, jeez. Uh, uh, I can see you're having difficult thoughts. Don't hold back. Dive in. I love that moment where the doctor is working with her and telling her, don't, don't hold back, dive in. Uh, for me, if, if, if unbreakable is sort of an adult version of a superhero movie, this is the mature version of that, of what M night Shyamalan was doing. Uh, it, it, yeah. Um, I was knocked. I'm knocked out by Thelma. Uh, but I like it, Dingus. Oh yeah, it's totally right. it, it's totally in your wheelhouse, um, man, Tom. Jeez, why didn't you tell us to watch this before? <laughs> right, I should I shouldn't have kept it to myself. <laughs> it was his number one, wasn't it? Yeah, it was uh, my favorite movie from last year, and I yeah, I, yeah, I you didn't tell like, me to watch Zelda. It's, it's it's like yeah. a movie about when your desire when what you desire simply cannot exist. Uh, it's. Uh. It's just a mind-blowing movie. Um, yeah, I'm pretty pretty nuts about it, and I don't want to talk too much about it. And other than other than to say, wow, Jesus. Uh, well, I mean, the the way the movie sort of layers a little bit of time here and there, and and just and just doles out things. Oh, it's so well paced. I love I loved Thelma Tom. Well, well, well picked. Well, good, good. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, uh, I, I think also uh, there's an interesting discussion to be had, which we'll have to have sometime, about um, the – I think early on Thelma sets up sets itself up as a movie about a, a woman who comes from uh, – a young lady who comes from a restrictive religious upbringing, and mm-hmm. it's going to be about her coming into the wider world and reconciling that with her parents' religious beliefs. Uh, but it morphs into something else partway through, and you see through a different perspective that that's not quite what's going on, and that's not quite what this movie is. Um, I think I, I think in the end, Thelma's parents are correct, even with what we mm. find out. Uh, and I think that the movie is ultimately a, a tragedy for everyone involved except Thelma. Wow, that's a great way to put it. And that includes Julia, by the way. That includes the woman who loves her. That includes uh, both of her parents, of course. Uh, and I love too just the uh, the way that Joaquin Trier plays plays with things like the the elements. This idea of hellfire. There's a great moment in Thelma where she talks about when she was a child, her father took her hand and held it over a candle. And said, "Do you feel that? Do you feel that? Uh, That's what it feels like in eternity if you go to hell." And how she ends up manifesting that memory ooh. in the end of the movie, and furthermore, why her father did that, um, are both these just amazing reveals to me. Uh, just that one little moment where she's talking to Julia about her upbringing, which you, you just think of as, "Okay, this is just another story about this woman who's had these repressive, harshly religious parents." That becomes something that that's a that that's a foreshadowing and uh, an ambiguity later on about well why did he do that was he correct to do that uh, and it also explains like 
what what happens later in the movie at a certain point. Um, oh, that's a really good point. I didn't think I didn't link those two things. I I will have to tell you, I can't wait to watch this movie again. It's full of I, touches like that, Ding. It's like yeah. little bits of dialogue that have a, a different meaning when you see them at a knowing what you know by the time it's over. Uh, also, little bits and pieces like well. Her relationship with Julia, by the way, I, I think is what her father eventually tells her about Julia, I think is correct. Uh, the ending, I think, is also, in a way, horrific. Uh, and I don't think... Oh, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, and I, But it doesn't play that way because it's a movie from Thelma's perspective. Uh, right. Like it's shown. There's this great sequence in the middle of it where there's empty seats and empty places like just yep. in in sequence yep. where you're just like oh my god and it's so chilling it's yep. so chilling yeah. just to see that empty <laughs> those empty spaces it's because just... they're all from shots that you've seen before i mean and, yeah. and joaquin yeah. trier knows that these that they're going to recall the shots that like he knows enough that you he knows you're going to know what you're seeing <laughs> yeah 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 it's so well paced i'm yeah i'm pretty crazy about it and how about eileen harbo she's just enchanting oh my god she's she just... is immediately isn't she yeah yeah oh my god oh my god oh uh, and the oh the, I, I i could talk about this movie for a long time uh and i've only seen it once uh it's really a great choice i'm crazy about it did you recognize ellen dorrit peterson from shelley like could you sort of see in your in your mind that she was the woman in Shelley? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The mother, yeah. But I just watched Shelley last week, so... Okay, right. Uh, All right, Kelly Wan, so uh, you're one-third of the people on this podcast haven't seen Thelma. How do you feel about that? I like trying to figure out what the movie's about from how you guys try to not spoil <laughs> still get, but still are like, oh, remember the part? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I... Shit. I'm, uh, uh, yeah, I'll watch it tonight. All right. Now that I'm done with Scream... <laughs> It's oh man oh god oh never mind. Blech. You guys are very rarely this in sync on any movie, or when it is, it's really good because you don't really have the same tastes. And in other ways, you have two similar tastes. Yeah, the, I mean, I could see people watching Thelma though and just not really being into the message or not really wanting to think I too remember much about. You told I, mean, me, I mean, Thelma uh, isn't isn't going to work for everyone. It's uh. Right, but when you told me um, not to watch Calvary because it wasn't for me, and then I looked it up, I looked at the poster and read what it was about, and I'm like, yeah, Tom's right. You might appreciate things about that movie, but... Calvary? Yes. <laughs> Maybe. Is it about I, horses? I can see yeah. people not sticking with Thelma. Right, right. Really? Exactly. Yeah. Before, because it, it is a slow burn for a while, and mm. uh, the things that – I mean, by the time it's over, it's definitely not, but it takes a while to get where it's going. But the thing is, after you've seen the whole thing, you realize that the slow burn stuff is actually important things that have a different meaning right. now that you know what you've seen. And this isn't any weird meta David Lynch kind of stuff. It's just – the, the movie presents itself from this one woman's point of view without a lot of exposition uh, and without saying, okay, here's why this is that. And it layers in what you need to know to get the full picture over the course of the movie. Um, so right. early on when you think, okay, this is just some 
coming-of-age thing about a chick in college, and, oh, this is so boring, when is somebody, okay, oh, she's having her first sexual experience, oh, good lord, I, I just go watch Lady Bird again, I'm done. Like, people, I can imagine people doing that. Uh, right. So. I like when a movie, you don't know what the movie is till. Right. But the thing is, Thelma doesn't give you any clue that it's going to do anything tricky. Like, it, it, it takes a while. Like, that first scene, Dingus, um, where, where he's with the, the little girl out on the ice, like, that, if you forget about that, like, you could easily mm. watch, I think, maybe an hour of Thelma and think, okay, this is just some coming-of-age thing. Uh, like, it's about an hour in before the flashback with the baby, I think. Well, when... I don't want to say too much. <laughs> when does the reptile make an appearance? Uh, the the snake... Oh, oh, well, the, the drug scene, you mean? No, no, before the, that. The dorm the, scene. On the lawn. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the snake later comes back in the drug scene. Uh, but that, that, again, doesn't necessarily have to be anything supernatural. Like, that could just be, oh, it represents uh, sin. Right, 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 uh, right. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of that, and that's why that's why I love that sort of that feeling of this is a movie about things that um, of desires or needs that you have that you simply can't have. Right. Right. All right. So Kelly wanted to watch Thelma. Did we lose Kelly Wand? Did we lose Kelly? I guess so. I guess he's off watching Thelma. All right. Well, I guess we incepted him. Oh, sorry. That was me, actually, not technology. <laughs> I'm an idiot, <laughs> just for the record. Yeah, Thelma, I'll watch it tonight, I said. So oh. we like uh, we like Tony Gilroy. He did the early born <laughs> movies. Uh, he's uh, he, uh, He's got a brother, a fellow named Dan Gilroy, who did a movie with Jake Gyllenhaal called Nightcrawler, uh, which we uh, like a lot. Dan Gilroy, he's the I, – I think he's the uh, – I want to say he's the lesser Gilroy. The movie I'm going to talk about I liked a lot, but it's, he, he's no Tony, uh, even though Nightcrawler is really good. <laughs> uh, his latest movie, it's something that was on Netflix, which these days I think is a bad sign. If Netflix picks it up, it's like because no one else wanted it. You have things like Cloverfield Paradox and stuff like that. Or uh, Roma. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Um, <laughs> so there's a movie that, that uh, is on Netflix directed by Dan Gilroy and starring a couple of the same people from Night. Nightcrawler, uh, called Velvet Buzzsaw. And one of my uh, issues with the... Did you see it, Kelly Wand? No, I was, I okay. was eyeballing it. And I go, is this about fashion? It, it, it's it, even worse, <laughs> Kelly Wand. Even worse. It opens, yeah. and it's about art. And it's about an art critic. That's and more art... interesting to be the fabric. But it's yeah. about... Okay, well, because I had the same reaction. Early on, Velvet Buzzsaw, it's just about characters who are really grating... Uh, they, well, that's good. They no, talk about they're 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 talking about art and commerce, and it's just something that my eyes are just starting to glaze over. But eventually, like about a half hour in, Velvet Buzzsaw emerges as a, it's, it's no secret it's a horror movie that Dan Gilroy decided to do, and he actually wrote it. It's from his own script, uh, and it kind of the fact that the characters are annoying works in its favor. <laughs> because of what's going to happen to them, uh, like a horror movie. Exactly, exactly. And Can't it, wait it made these people get slashed to death. It made me think too. I talked before about how how oh god, every horror movie opens with usually like teenagers, sometimes a family in a car in going a car. somewhere. Oh, that's a, and I, so I just loved this as a horror movie that wasn't that. 
that opened with these people dealing with with art uh, and art museums and new artists and there's a kind of a Basquiat counterpart in there played by David Diggs uh, John Malkovich is a tired old I think Jackson Pollocky type character um, and even the dialogue that that Dan Gilroy writes for him like they're talking about things that I just don't understand Jake Gyllenhaal plays an plays an art critic who is just so grating and full of himself <laughs> um, so the point of what Velvet Buzzsaw does is it puts all these characters, and they don't know it, it puts them in a horror movie. And, uh, and That's once, the worst kind when you don't know it. Exactly. Like and once, scream character. Uh, once it morphs into a horror movie, uh, I think that Dan Gilroy, and this is the best thing I can say about it, has a really uh, – has a great sense for mischief and uh, gruesomeness. Uh, Ooh, and, nice. and, and there's a bunch of that. It's a really playful movie by the time it's over. Uh, and it's got a great cast. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal ends up being a lot of fun. And, and this also, it's an ensemble movie. It's not a Jake Gyllenhaal movie, which, which is what I expected after Nightcrawler and after seeing his, after having his character introduced. Uh, it's very much an ensemble movie with Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, Rene Russo is great in it. Uh, Tony Collette. Uh, this kid, Billy Magnuson, a woman I've never seen before named, uh, I want to say, Zawe Ashton, uh, the the young girl from Stranger Things. But it's, a, it's an ensemble piece of John Malkovich. Um, and it, it's about a woman who finds some paintings. And in a tradition, it, it almost feels like a Lovecraftian short story. There's something wrong with these paintings. And when they are shown to Jake Gyllenhaal, and he, he just talks in this highfalutin critic language. He's looking at them and he says – and this is, a, this is an indication of his character and what the movie is going to do. He's looking at them and he says, I'm ensorcelled, <laughs> <laughs> which is not that's how normal good. people talk. And there's a reason no, that he actually uses – I don't know uses, that's a word. And there's a, right. Well, and there's a reason that he uses the word that's part of how uh, Dan uh, Gilroy is really mischievous and gruesome uh, in this movie. Now – the frickin' trailer, and this is Netflix trying to get people to watch the movie, each and every single twist and event and revolution, uh, revelation, Telegraph. except for the, the very final one, is shown in the trailer. And uh, I just... I haven't seen it, so I'm sad. Yeah, don't watch the trailer, because good lord, it's just, there's, <laughs> there's nothing waiting for you. There's the last scene waiting for you, if you see the trailer. And that just drives me crazy, because I was watching the trailer going, well, surely they're not going to show that scene. And they show that one. And I'm like, well, okay... At least they won't show this one. And nope, they showed that one. Uh, so, so what lies beneath kind of thing. No, except, Netflix is dumb, man. They always do that. Yeah, except, except worse because I, I think a lot of uh, what what Dan Gilroy does is he sets up each character at, for some sort of a, uh, a finale or eventuality. Or and you see them all in the trailer. And the trailer shows every single one of them, and every single one of them has something to do with something specific about the character, uh, and it's really cool. So the weird thing that I'm watching it, it's called Velvet Buzzsaw because Renee Russo, and she's she ends up being the main character, and I'm really glad they did that too because you don't – So think... they're working together again after Nightcrawler. Exactly. Well, I, 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 I mean I, I think – in in a way, I'm surprised that he didn't cast Tony Collette in the Rene Russo part uh, because it's a larger part. But but I think it's because he just really appreciated what she did with him in Nightcrawler. Yeah. Uh, Tony Collette has a much smaller, 
more thankless part. Uh, and Rene Russo just gets a, a lot of really good stuff to do in this. There's a scene early on where uh, a thug representing her Basquiat-style artist uh, is trying to intimidate her. And the way she just stands up to him and backs him down, it's just like a great early scene of, okay, this character's badass. Now, how is she going to behave in a horror movie? Uh, and the point of her, her character is she came up through a punk band in the 80s called Velvet Buzzsaw. <laughs> and watching the movie, I'm like, okay, well, why is why did he name it that? That makes no sense. And it's only mentioned once, and it's such a vague sort of ancillary fact uh but the way that it the payoff for the name i think is just it, it made the movie totally worth watching yeah. uh <laughs> so velvet All buzzsaw right. dan gilroy deciding to do an, a horror movie with an ensemble cast uh very mischievous very gruesome uh i quite enjoyed it Hall always has a partner or something like he doesn't carry a movie by himself he always has like he's good when he reacts like even um, nightcrawler it's so like he, his partners. I think I think when Netflix does those, uh, when de- Netflix does a thing like you're talking about, Tom, with the trailer, um, this movie is probably a commercial for uh, joining Netflix. <laughs> I, because oh, all uh, movies, yeah, I, yeah, all their movies are, yeah, definitely, well, yeah. So so they're going to show everything they can to say, hey, this is what we have to offer coming over here and pay us a subscription fee to join us uh, as opposed to I mean, uh, you know, most movie trailers show too much in my opinion that's why I don't watch them, but I would imagine Netflix shows even more in order to get people to say, oh, well if that's what you guys got, then I'll pay my whatever a month and go over there and do that I mean, I wonder too, Dingus if part of it is Netflix is newer to the game of selling their content uh, to people, whereas studios like like Paramount and Universal and 20th Century Fox, I mean, they've learned over the years how to not necessarily compromise the creative integrity of their products as they're selling them. And I think Netflix is still a little new to this, or they just don't care that much because they pick up stuff like Cloverfield Paradox. Uh, now, they, they got this from Sundance, uh, I think, a year ago, so this wasn't something that that, that nobody else would take, so they took it, which I think was the case with Cloverfield Paradox. Bad Robot didn't know what to do with that. Netflix is like, well, okay, we'll take it. Um, yeah. But but I think part of it too, Dingus, is they're just they're still kind of new to this. Uh, They've got they're going for acreage. Well, I wonder if not Amazon quality, like A twenty four. I wonder if Amazon Prime is making the same mistakes. I mean, I'm calling them mistakes because I don't like. I thought you liked Jake Ryan, bro. It's Jack Ryan. Uh, <laughs> nerd alert! It's Colin Ryan. <laughs> Clancy um, nerd. Um, Colin uh, Ryan's actually a better name. I I just wonder if they do the same thing with their trailers that you're talking about, Tom. Because uh, they, they're they're just as new to Netflix to and as far as producing content is concerned. They're trying to do the same thing, yeah. yeah. I just but Spielberg. Uh, I just is wonder upset. if they're making the same mistakes. Right. Um, Spielberg wants to shut down Netflix. He doesn't want Romas to ruin the Oscars. And I thought he wants what? to shut it down, or he just doesn't want it to qualify for Academy Award. The latter, but like, oh, okay, come on, the Oscars suck, and he—they haven't been kind to Spielberg. <laughs> he should go fuck it. 
Haha, uh -huh, Kelly Wong cares about the Academy Awards. Uh -huh. <laughs> no, I care that other people care about them. I want everyone to not care about the Academy Awards, and when they do, I get upset. Kelly Wong, like, the first uh, step is not caring about them yourself. Ooh. Well, it's like Trump. Like, I can't tune out entirely. Well, it's not like Trump at all. <laughs> it's exactly like Trump. It's like an empty... Uh, I don't. I think it, it's so easy to not care about the Academy Awards. It's not easy to not care about uh, Donald Trump. Yeah. Well, one, it, it's more hate watching. What actually affects our democracy? <laughs> what? No, the Oscars don't. <laughs> You're crazy. <laughs> Dingus, what what should we talk about for this week's three by three? I think we should talk about grocery stores. What we'll brought this on? Because I'm sure. Uh, the question to any candidate is how much does a, a gallon of milk cost? Or what's right? a scanner? That's... Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk about grocery stores. All right, I'll be starting off because I'm introducing next month's topic. My Ooh. number three favorite – so it's grocery store scenes, right? Yeah. Okay, because I, I – only one of them did I really pick the grocery store itself. Uh, my number three favorite, and and part of my the reason this is my favorite is I didn't remember this is the transition to it. Um, in in Deer Hunter, there's a famous cut where we've we've had this big wedding going on, and it's just a, it's a big Polish wedding in in Pennsylvania, I think in Pittsburgh, and it's just all it's just going on and on for like an hour, and there's no real and, and then there's a sudden cut to Robert De Niro shooting a flamethrower in Vietnam, and it's just like that. It's 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 a jump cut almost. Uh, there, there's no segue. There's no fade to black. Uh, there's nothing to represent the passage of time or geography. It just jumps instantly into Vietnam. What I had forgotten about Hurt Locker at the very end, where we see Jeremy Renner sort of bewildered in front of the cereal aisle at the supermarket, is the abruptness of the cut from him being in the Humvee with, uh, I think it's Sanborn, with Anthony Mackie, uh, basically demonstrating that he's he's burned out and that Anthony Mackie has been traumatized by what's happening and it hasn't quite affected Jeremy Renner's character in the same way and then it instantly cuts to him in the supermarket with that same abruptness uh, and there's no segue um, so he's in the supermarket and it just shows him going down the aisle and just looking at the stuff and Evangeline Lilly who's his wife comes around the corner and she's he's got an empty shopping cart he's which kind of says he's just been flabbergasted and just sort of roaming the aisles with no idea what to do because when she comes around with the cart she's got the baby and it's just full of stuff and he says hey i got soda and he's got like a two liter can of coke in, in his cart yeah. um and so she says uh okay go get cereal and then it cuts to him just looking at this aisle of cereal which i to me that's yeah of course there's a whole aisle full of cereal everybody knows that uh, but just his reaction to it because he's been in Iraq and he's had something else on his mind. And Catherine Bigelow is playing this whole idea of war as a drug and him being back in the normal world is bewildering to him. Uh, so I love that serial aisle moment with Jeremy Renner. And I watched it a couple times to see if I could figure out what brand of cereal he finally picks. And I don't think you can tell, unfortunately. Or does he pick? No, I don't. No, think, he picks one. I he don't think one. he cares. That, that, this is my number one pick. It's uh, my number two. I love, I, yeah. And, and one of the things I said, I said was, I think a lot of people are going to pick this. And I think all three of us will. Um, Kelly, what do you think about it? Uh, 
I like the thing that happens right after that, which is he goes back because it means that he was in the grocery store. And my note was him going, but groceries, I miss watching people blow up. So then he goes back. Well, like, I mean, you, there's a more store. heartbreaking scene with his son before that. Like that's, uh, you know, the grocery oh, store is the first because then it shows him cleaning out the the leaves from the, the drain. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it plays out a little moment. bit more. And the real the real heartbreaking thing is when he says to his son, you know, when you get to my age, there are fewer and fewer things you care about. And eventually it's only one and t- one or two. And for me, I think now it's just one thing. And you're watching that. And, uh-huh. and I think it's easy to forget this if you've seen it multiple times. And you're thinking, oh, he's thinking about his son. His son's the right. only thing he cares about. And then it cuts to him returning uh, to Iraq, and you realize, oh, fuck, <laughs> that's even more oh, than that's his good, son. Though. No, it's great, and it's 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 great grim, drama. it's brutal, and it's it's getting to this point of war is a drug, which is the whole epigraph at the beginning of the movie. Um, yeah, I like that. All right, Dingus, that's... why is this your number one pick? Why is this the best shopping or uh, grocery store scene in all of moviedom? I love that you bring up the leave, the, him cleaning up the leaves from the gutters up at the up at the roof there, and and just trying to adjust to a normal life. That's an easy one to uh, not care about because because for me it, it's just there's there's such a great contrast to the way uh, Catherine Bigelow shoots the scenes in Iraq and the scenes in the US um, and especially the scenes in the in the grocery store and that's that, that's why it's my favorite because the the grocery store is so uh, so clean and so bright so flor- fluorescently bright as opposed to the brightness of the desert which is just blast furnace sun hot mm-hmm. brightness and this is fluorescent lightness and there's so much color here, and everything is kind of the same shade. In I mean, I, I mean I'm nuts about Hurt Locker, but everything's basically sort of a, a shade of sand, <laughs> in a way, and and yet to the point where where when when Ray Fine's eyes are revealed, you're like, oh, there's a blue, there's blue <laughs> here in in the frame all of a sudden, and and. Watching him in this grocery store, it just – it calls to mind to me when he tries to call them earlier on. Now, now he's he said that they're divorced, but she hasn't moved out of the house yet, right? Um, so he doesn't quite know where they live. He doesn't know where he is in his life. He doesn't know where he is in this world. He doesn't know where he exists. Uh, it's this weird situation for him. He feels like in this weird sort of limbo, but he feels most comfortable here. Uh, and that makes the grocery store thing better because it's like there's aisles and you don't know which aisle you're in. But there's so many choices. There's so many things to right. choose from. He doesn't have to do that when he's, you know, it's it's. I don't know. It's sort of analogous to a man being in prison. And everything is chosen for you. Uh, here are your meals. Here are the things that you have available to you. Um, these are the things you have to eat. And then he's standing in this cereal aisle. Uh, before that, he's walking down the aisle and looking at the um, pizza, 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 yeah. pizza, 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 and yeah. you see his his image in the in you know in the reflection there. And then he goes into the aisle and he doesn't. 
he just doesn't know what to do. And he just – and you're right, Tom. I, I can't really figure out what he picks. I mean you can see the the brands splayed across the frame. Right. It's not where they have to make fake uh, cereal brands like they'll do in some movies or TV right. shows, right? <laughs> right. You can see like cinnamon you, – you can see everything like right up there. But he just grabs something and throws it in the cart. I mean he just grabs something and tosses it in. And I don't even know if that kid would eat that stuff. Uh, but well, he's I don't just... think it, that's the thing too. I was—I don't think it's for the kid. It's for him. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. Evangeline Lilly doesn't seem she doesn't seem like she's got the figure of someone who just has a bowl of cereal in the morning. You're right. It's yeah. for him. He like she's telling right. she's telling him get cereal for yourself, and he just doesn't know or care, or he's bewildered. Yeah. And I that little baby's too young for the cereal. Yeah. That's how I feel <laughs> in a grocery store too. So I hate that more than the bombs. What I'm crazy about is how he doesn't know where he lives in this world, uh, but he knows this one thing that he can do and this one thing that gives him a feeling of life. And this particular life doesn't give him life. Uh, You know, there's an earlier scene where he calls and he can't talk to them. She's. She says, is is this – I forget his name, Jack or whatever. Uh, is it you? He's calling on a satellite phone from Iraq, and he hangs up because he doesn't know how to deal with that part of his life. He knows how to deal with this part of his life. He can you know, he can disarm several bombs, but he cannot deal with real – The life. artificiality maybe? I don't know what it is. Well, to be fair food. to him, like I mean, like to be fair to him, Evangeline Lilly is kind of annoying. <laughs> uh, not as an elf, though. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying, Tom, but I am still interested. <laughs> Kelly Wand, what is your third favorite grocery store in a movie? Uh, <clears throat> okay. I feel like the Police Academy movies um, jump the shark after number two, but the first two are actually kind of good, and then they got dumb. But in the Police Academy 2, their first assignment movie, Bobcat Goldthwait is like one of the, he's the villain of the movie. He's like, he's like the head of a biker gang. And so, and the sequence to demonstrate that things are out of control in the city he and the bikers go shopping at a grocery store and cause mayhem. And the mayhem they cause is he sprays his teeth with antiperspirant. And then uh, they knock over a guy stacking some Cokes. And that you remember that Tim Kazarinsky guy from Saturday Night Live? The like, little guy with glasses. No. <laughs> no. No. He was like, was, he did like a thing on the news where he held up cue cards of like weird words okay so anyway he has like a broken arm and they like scream at him and make him ride in a cart and then they put him in the vegetable section and slap lettuce on his face after he's buried in vegetables like the camera's panning and then uh, a woman who works there tells Bobcat Goldthwait to act his age so he eats a banana without peeling it because that's what a baby would do <laughs> and then on his way out he's all thanks I found a lot of nice bargains here and then the girl's all Excuse me, sir, you forgot your stamps. So that's how much mayhem they caused. <laughs> and uh, and, you say, and this was before the Police Academy. That's when the Police Academy movies were still good, you're saying. Yeah, this is before I jumped. On the rails, okay. Well, which, well I, which, which I got one these is this? jokes. This is number two, 
Police Academy 2. Okay. Police Academy 2, Bobcat Goldthwait. But then in the third or fourth one, Bobcat Goldthwait becomes one of the cops. And I'm like, what? Now, come on. This isn't... That's, that's like not... in Fast and Furious when Jason Statham teams up with him. So unrealistic. right? And he is teaming up with That's the thing. Jason Statham killed Han <laughs> in those movies. And now he's teaming up with... But also, I think he's just teaming up with The Rock. And Rock doesn't give a fuck about. It. He's not family. He didn't know Han, so. right? Exactly. Yeah. Hobbs and uh, what's Statham's <laughs> Shaw. name? Shaw, Shaw, isn't it? Yeah, Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. It was a spinoff of just them. But they hate each other too. Well, that's the, that's how everybody cop movie works, Kelly Wan. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Well, it is how Fast and the Furious. <laughs> but Statham's family too. He's part of the Vin Diesel dinner set. My hope for Hobbs and Shaw is it will have nothing to do with the Fast and Furious movies, and it'll all be a, con- a bunch of cool David Leach action. Because <laughs> he's directing. If he it, becomes yeah. a cop, like okay, now they're all cops. Like okay, Vin Diesel's a cop now. But like, if Statham, the murderer who blew up Han, becomes a cop, that's going to be Police Academy three territory. Right. We don't want it to jump the shark like that, of course. No. But all yeah, right, two's so- okay. So Police Academy, sweet. Not as good as Hurt Locker. Hurt Locker was number two. Right. But, um, yeah. Well, Dingus, what is your third favorite? Uh, police Academy movie. Grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and your third favorite Police Academy. Go ahead and weigh in on that as well. All right. I like uh, Police Academy 6, uh, Raising Arizona. Um, <laughs> so I, I figure a lot of people are going to choose this, but I love this grocery store scene. Uh, I think that was Mission to Moscow, by the way. Okay, go on. That's okay. uh, there's there's this moment where John uh, John Goodman's character says, and I know you're partial to convenience stores, but damn it, high, the sun doesn't rise and set on the corner grocery. Um, I I deliberately uh, avoided groceries. I mean, uh, convenience stores, because I think that's a different thing. Um, And one of the wonderful things about the grocery store scene in Raising Arizona is that he has to go there because he fails at the convenience store. Uh, He it's it's one of the best chases in all of mankind. It's like a Blues Brothers kind of chase. It's just so well filmed, so well done. And. I, I don't think Tom has a lot of patience for this movie. I love, what are you talking about? I love Raising Arizona. Uh, I just think it's – if nobody should pick that as their favorite Coen Brothers movie. Uh, Minor Coen. Okay. It's too okay. frivolous. Yeah, come on. <laughs> it is pretty frivolous, but it, but watching it, it bears it bears multiple watchings because the, the things that Nicolas Cage and Holly Hunter are doing are just fascinating to me. I mean it's fascinating watching Holly Hunter – in particular, she's amazing. She's amazing to watch. And then watching Nicolas Cage do this, uh, go go through this whole chase scene, and then you know he, what, their whole goal is to get diapers. That's all they're doing. All, all they're trying to do is huggies. Is is trying to get some huggies, and they fail at the convenience store because. Uh, Nicholas Cage decides to rob the convenience store instead of paying for the Huggies. And uh, they have to leave them on the road. And then he runs through a house and he, he's being chased by a cop and he's being chased by a bunch of dogs. And he runs into this grocery store and he's running, he's going down the aisles and there's a cop chasing him and just shooting, <laughs> shooting down the aisles. It's just 
totally absurd. It's totally crazy absurdity. Uh, and then, but then he's deadpan too for all of it. He's totally deadpan. He goes down the aisle and he's going down through the. What I love about this scene is that he's going through, like, okay, there's loves. I, I mean, he, he goes through the different types of of diapers, and then, oh, huggies are the ones I want. The, I mean, he's actually taking time to choose the product he wants in the grocery store during this particular scene when he's being chased by a cop and a bunch of rabid dogs. Um, which is amazing to me. I love that. I love that so much. And then he gets shot at by a, a dude who has a double barrel shotgun. And that's one of my favorite. I, I think I, I used that before for a... Uh, and he's shooting uh, his own groceries, isn't he? For a re- Yeah, he is. Yeah, for a reaction shot. Um, he, he just looks like, oh, really? After all this, you're going to shoot at me? I'll be taking um, these huggies, whatever cash you got. Yeah. So uh, I, I just... I love the way that whole scene works out. It's just absurd. There, there are women with rollers in their hair running down the aisles with shopping carts and dogs chasing everybody, cops shooting at people. Is that but, what Arizona's like? Is that what Arizona Well, would you buy uh, something from a place called Unpainted Huffines? Not Huggies. It shot at. Fuck that. Oh, man. I... I I can't. Survival. I can't tell you how much. Uh, it, it is. It is just such a pleasure to watch the two. To watch Jolene the Cohen work in this particular movie. Watch that intro sequence and then get to this point where there's this amazing chase and it's by the grocery store. I love it. I love it. It's a fault to blood simple, so you go into it not knowing. Yeah. It's Noir Brothers. All right, so Tom, what's your number two? My second, my second favorite grocery store scene. Uh, there's a couple of them, but I'm specifically going to call out uh, Adam Sandler and Louise Guzman scooping up pudding at a grocery ah. store in the middle of Punch Drunk Love. Uh, so the whole thing when we meet his character, uh, Barry Egan, he's discovered that you can – there's a healthy choice tie-in that American Airlines has with getting free mileage – and Paul Thomas Anderson based his script on an actual event. Uh, and, and Barry Egan has discovered that if you buy enough cheap, healthy choice products, and he discovers in his case that it's pudding, uh, that you can basically set yourself up to fly for free for the rest of your life. Uh, so there's uh, once he discovers this and once Emily Watson has gone off to Hawaii and he has decided that he wants to go meet her there, that he's in love with her, he – Go, he recruits uh, Luis Guzman, who is Lance, his co-worker, and he says, come with me. And they go at first to a 99-cent store. And when I watched this, I was like, oh, that's not quite a grocery store. But then they go to a grocery store. <laughs> they make a couple of stops, and one of them is definitely at a grocery store. And that's where he does his little shuffling dance, uh, which it's just the the most gleeful we've seen Barry Egan at this point. Because he's no, he knows he's going to go see Emily Watson, and he's just found a great place to get all of this pudding for 25 cents a cup. Uh, Luis Guzman just deadpanning it has no idea what's going on um, uh, so I just love his glee in that scene in Punch Drunk Love uh, and man I had forgotten the the scene where uh, Mary Lynn Raj, Rags Cub, I can't say her last name brings Emily hey, Watson <laughs> brings Emily Watson to meet him at his job 
and there's so much <laughs> chaos going on, and the, the woman from the sex line is calling him to threaten him, and there's a mishap with the forklift, and Mary Lynn Ragscub is giving him a hard time uh, about coming to breakfast with them, and Emily Watson, he's clearly sort of attracted to her, but doesn't has no idea what to say, and there are people asking about the little piano, and she says something about, well, what's that pudding? And he says, oh, that's something else. Like, he has no, he's not connecting anywhere, and he's just completely, that's shot like an action scene every bit as frenetic as the t-rex scene in jurassic park like what what paul thomas anderson does in that scene with the john bryan soundtrack just with the music and the motion and the dialogue it's just phenomenal i'd forgotten how amazing uh that is just as a piece of filmmaking um so but my favorite grocery store second favorite grocery store scene is the middle one in punch truck love i love that pick so much because there's something weird that happens in my brain when you talk about Punch Drunk Love that I hear the soundtrack in my head. Uh, I can hear when you're talking about these scenes, when you're describing these scenes, I can hear the soundtrack in my head. It's like that calliope thing or some. Yeah, exactly. It's the, the harmonium. and Well, it's not the harmonium, but it's it's the just that yeah calliope is a good way to put it actually i'm not gonna improve upon that because yeah it's like a circus or, or something uh yeah and it's just so playful and the same with just the lighting and stuff uh man punch so i watch it re-watching punch drunk love i realized that part of it kind of taps into the same glee that's almost drug-like for me that uh la la land does yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with as, you. As far as yeah. just being so wrapped up in a, a, a love story between two people, uh, I just get the same glee from Punch Drunk Love that I that I get in La La Land. Yeah, Punch Drunk Love is one of those movies that I left, and I didn't even think of this. This is a great pick, Tom. Um, I, it didn't even occur to me because I can I can see him with that cart where he's putting all the things in there. Um, uh, that that this is one of those few movies that. There are some movies that you leave feeling better than you went in, and this is a movie that I just left feeling like I'm on top of the world. And the three other people I went with were like, "Yeah, that was okay," and I felt like uh, I felt like my brain was on fire. I mean, I felt so good after seeing that movie. Uh, yeah, and I feel that way every time I watch it. So great pick. Oh man, yeah. Kelly, See, these remember are quality films. Police Academy, I, exactly. Hurt Locker, yeah. Punch Drunk Love. I was going to say, especially Police <laughs> Academy. So it's like great directors all agree that grocery stores are very good at feeling character. Well, Kelly Wan, let's continue this trend. What great movie is your second favorite grocery store scene? Well, Hurt Locker. Oh, right. In, in that case, Dingus, what is your second favorite grocery store scene? Let's make it a great movie. Let's not screw up the, the streak of great movies we got going here. All right. Uh, here's a quote from it. Sorry, I didn't see you. Um, so, uh, I was thinking that, um, pushing there's a, Ted, there's a no. movie called the station agent, uh, that I was, mm. I wasn't quite sure about because I thought m the grocery store scene I was thinking of was really kind of a convenience store where he goes and he's there to get some comestibles and he hears the woman behind the counter uh, getting a call from uh, Patricia Clarkson's character uh, 
saying that I need these things delivered to me, and he says, I, I can take them to her. Oh, yeah, he's, right. He's, he's worried about her. Uh, but it, So he's going to bring her her groceries, but it's still not quite what I was going for as far as a grocery store scene was concerned. Um, so I, I was watching it again this week, and it, God, that movie is such a pleasure to watch. Um, there's an earlier scene where he goes to a grocery store and he's getting food. Uh, it's, it's right after like a, a couple of like douchebag kids make fun of him um, as he's going in uh, or as he's walking by and he just ignores it as usual. Uh, and then he, he puts his stuff on the conveyor, the conveyor belt at the grocery store to pay his bill and the woman, uh, the young woman behind the counter looks at the customer behind him and says, basically, is it going to be uh, uh, paper or plastic? And the guy's like, uh, he's, actually, he's first. <laughs> and she goes, oh, I didn't see you. And you you see this picture of him like beyond, behind the, uh, behind the things that, that, that you where you put your money in and whatnot and it's just a a great little moment because some of the things i love about the station agent is how tom mccarthy is so careful about because of the way he wrote the movie and the way he cast it and what he did um he doles out the ideas of uh of peter dinklage's character as being a, a dwarf uh, a little person. Um, he's very careful about that. And this is one of those little moments. And uh, him going to just just dealing with – and it. one of the things I love about this is that dealing with you know, a person with disabilities or a person who's different, uh, dealing with just a day-to-day – I just want to pay for my shit. And I'm not I you you're not even acknowledging that I'm standing in line because you can't see me. Uh, you're just not even noticing me and I'm standing here. Um, I just lo- I just love that little moment. I love that little moment in the grocery store. Uh, and so I, I kind of append the convenience store grocery store thing on the other other end of that, but uh, watching this again and Man, I tell you, you know, you, Tom, you asked, what were you giggling about the other night? This is what. Ah, because I knew it wasn't Atorados. Because <laughs> Kelly Juan Dingus is just like giggling uproariously at some movie, and he wouldn't tell me what it was. But because he was laughing, Atorados. I was like, yeah, that wasn't Atorados. <laughs> uh, Station Agent is so funny. It right. is so funny. Bobby kind of. Carnivale? Yes, Carnivale, right. He's the the, the so... villain, we all, of course, we all know him as the villain from Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Yeah, but yeah, before then, he was in Station Agent, yeah. <laughs> uh, but he's just so hangdog, he's just so, oh, okay, well, I'll be up here alone without a garlic press. I mean, he's just, <laughs> he's just great. He's so great. And the movie has just the right balance between the tragic and the, and the humorous. Uh, and there's so many beautiful images in it. I just kept taking screenshots of it as I was watching it. Uh, there, there's this moment where he's he's sleeping in there, 
uh, you know, I've, I've talked about this before because we talked about the library, but there's this moment where he's sleeping in the station agent's, uh, station in the new in Newfoundland. Uh, and there's, the, there's this beautiful shot of, uh, his, his pocket watch because he loves things like this. He loves the trains. He loves pocket watches. He dresses in a certain way. And there's a moment where you, where you see, like the light from the train that's going by uh, flashing on the pocket watch that he's put on the table next to where he's sleeping. Uh, it's just a beautifully shot movie. I'm, I, uh, I, I love it so much, but that moment in the grocery store where he's like between the, the, the things where he has to pay and, and she's like, I'm sorry, I didn't see you. Uh, I love that. All right, we've been talking about good movies enough. Let's no more of that. Let's <laughs> yeah. Let's get a little into yeah. the gutter here. Same, same. My favorite grocery store scene. So, okay, I'm gonna need you guys' help here. When you think of Sharni Vinson, what's the first movie you think of? Boobs. Oh. Um, You're next. Right. Right. Now, but when you think of Sharni Vinson, what's the second movie that you think of? That grocery store movie where she's on top of the thing with the sharks. Oh, okay. Well, we'll cut to that. So, yeah, there's a movie called Bait, uh, which is the classic Australian, hey, your tsunami got sharks in my supermarket movie. Uh, everybody knows Bait. That's the third movie you think of. The second one, ding, is you got it wrong, Step Up. Oh. That's the second Ugh. movie you think of, the Sharni Vincent. She's in that? Actually, she's not. She, she's in, in, in the, and then you think, oh, she's in the second one, but she's not in that either. That's Brianna Evigan. So then you think, wait a minute, and you look it up, and she's only in the third Step Up. Step What's Up 3D. What's the title of that? Step Up 3D. Um, That's it? Yeah. Wait, I was right? About what? Nothing. A, about the grocery store thing? No, the first movie you think of is your next. The second one is Step oh. Up, but then you have to remind yourself it's actually Step Up 3D. Oh, I but see. But the third yeah. Sharni Vincent movie you think of is Bait, which is where the tsunami – gets yeah. sharks in the supermarket. Um, now, this isn't my number one pick because the Oceana <laughs> Food Mart in Bait is the rinky-dinkiest, dopiest, low-budget set you have ever seen in the world because what's going to happen is the tsunami is going to flood the supermarket and the people have to stand up on the shelves because a shark swims in there and terrorizes them. But the, the, where they shoot it is a soundstage that they're going to flood. But before they flood it, they have to make it look like a supermarket, and it is so half-assed. Like, there's no windows, first of all, because it's supposed to be like an underground supermarket, <laughs> like I guess they have near the beaches. Uh, and, and so they put up these wire shelves, and they put a few desultory products on there, and they're not very tightly packed. And you can just tell they just got a few things to throw out because they knew they were all going to trash it. They hang up like one or two little sad banners to make it look like a grocery store <laughs> and the checkout counter is just like a table uh it's sad so banners. it's so terrible it's the worst grocery store set you ever saw and even when it gets flooded by the way it, it looks terrible it's just like a it's a flooded soundstage and the reason they can't escape is because a car gets caught in the door where they're gonna get out so it's a grocery <laughs> store where one car in the doorway can trap people like it's that crappy of a grocery store it, it's Surf up on aisle 10. <laughs> <laughs> a little fun. What I did here. forget, though, about bait is there's a point where uh, – because there's a shark in the water, and a guy has to go turn off a switch that's controlling the power because the water's going to rise and touch these power cables and electrify everyone. So the guy has to get to the switch to turn off the power. They're all going to die, but there's a shark in the water. So he builds himself – 
a suit of armor out of shopping carts. Go <laughs> oh. <laughs> back and let electrocute him. <laughs> no, well, he has to get there and turn the switch off before the water rises and touches the cables. But the shark's there, so he builds a shark-proof suit out of super out of shopping carts, and he ties a bunch of like cans Wait, of tomatoes to it. That would take more time. He builds a shark cage. Yeah, exactly. He built a wearable shark cage, uh, it, but it works. I mean, the shark doesn't kill him; he drowns instead. But uh, so, <laughs> at any rate, there's the child uh, thing at the top. Well, like no, a it's a door. It, 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 yeah, yeah, it's like a no. It's not with a doggy door, but it is like that thing. It's like the thing that a kid sits in, I think, and they tape up bits of the shopping cart around him. Um, it should have set a kid up. It's unintentionally <laughs> hilarious. Uh, but How anyway, my. My point is... Where does the head come out of that? Kelly Wan, you're just going to have to see it and find out I'm for yourself. I'm really intrigued, actually. It, I can't believe... If you like Sharni Vinson, you've already seen it, but apparently you're not into Sharni Vinson enough, so whatever. Um, I think you ever mentioned... That's not the kind of bait I think about with Sharni Vinson. Uh, it's also... There, well, you know, Kelly Wan, bait is for you. That movie. It's well, not the shit. Yeah, it's for sounds you. like it. A but here's the deal. Wear a shopping cart to fight a shark? Here's the deal, though. The problem with bait, I think is done correctly in another movie where the point of bait is, hey, a supermarket is something super mundane, so what if we transformed it into something really scary and eerie where something dramatic and weird and terrifying <laughs> is happening? With a the, car. The movie that does that correctly is The Mist, which I think is a terrible oh, movie. Yeah. The Mist huh. is so stupid. The Mist is – I don't know what Frank Darabont – like, was he drunk? Uh, how dumb is that movie? But it's that movie – that movie has a great supermarket. The set yeah. is fantastic, and the use of the set, the sequence where these flying bugs and, and with a plate glass front and the, the mist yeah. against it and these flying bugs get stuck on there, and then these like gargoyle things start eating the bugs, and one of them gets in the supermarket, and Thomas Jane has a flaming mop that they've squ- sprayed lighter fluid. Like he's taking <laughs> advantage yeah. of the stuff in the supermarket, and the things are flying up against those clapboards that hang from the ceiling that tells you what in each aisle and the aisles are just dense with products uh yeah. the the set in the mist i mean the the mist good i i just am i'm just agog at how that movie is so far worse than i remembered it being um what i, I, I have fond memories of it the problem with it, it's just so heavy-handed with this whole social message about religion and people bending together and uh like marcia gay hard wrong marcia gay harden deciding in, in the course of like oh one she's year. terrible she's terrible Marcia Gay Harden represents like there's gonna she she forms a cult in the course of one night right, of them right, forming yeah, there, and there's this whole thing with Andre Brower uh, having friction with Thomas Jane's character because they're neighbors and had some sort of legal dispute. So when Thomas Jane and a couple of other characters have just seen a stock boy murdered by tentacles in the back room, and yeah. they cut off one of the tentacles. And then they go out in the front of the store, and they're like, Andre Brower, there's there's tentacle monsters out there. We've got – and he's like, no, you're just trying to trick me with cow's blood, and you just yeah, – so yeah, fit. that's dumb. Like too. it's so forced. <laughs> These people have seen mist come in, and people go missing and terrified, and they – why would Andre Bauer, Brower refuse to believe that there's tentacles in the back that came into the door? Like it's uh, so – I like the biker guy that they tie to the, the rope, and then he goes out. And then the rope goes up in the air. Yeah, and he gets cut in back. half, and his half yeah, of his body. Yeah, that's good. Dead. I like the monsters. I like the like the meanness of the mist monsters. Like yeah, no, no, that stuff is great. But all all the dialogue, all the human stuff is just terrible. All and that's they, bad, but 
like the girl who goes, is it anyone going to escort a mom on her way? Do you way? remember who that was, by the way? Uh, it was someone we met, like Amy Madigan or somebody. So I, maybe they shot this in Atlanta or something, but there are three prominent characters from Walking Dead in The Mist. The, the main old Babel. guy who survives into the end with Francis Sternhagen uh, is the guy who played Dale in the first few seasons of Walking Dead. Oh, right. Uh, Lauren – not Lauren Cohen. What's the blonde woman's name who is the governor's girlfriend? Oh, shoot. Andrea on her character. Yeah, what's the actress's name? She's from The Shield. Uh, she's Wait, a cutie. Wait, is Francis Hagen in The Mist or in Walking Dead? Oh. Uh, she's in The Mist. She's not in Walking Dead. Yeah. Oh. Um, All right, because she was in Misery. Mystery. Misery. Oh. Right. I mean, I, I, I think of her as the, the hot nurse from Outland. Um, right, but these are both Stephen King things. That's why I said that. Oh, the, well, you know what, Dingus, if you swing a dead cat uh, in a room full of actors, you're going to hit one of them who's been in a Stephen King movie. <laughs> you hit a Sternhagen, you're going to hit a Stephen King. <laughs> so uh, Dale is in it. Uh, the blonde woman, uh, not isn't Lauren Cohen Maggie? What's that actress's yeah, name? Yeah, that's Lauren Cohen. The blonde, Laurie Holden. Is that right, maybe? Laurie Holden, right. Yeah. right. So Laurie Holden is the girlfriend, the, the one that Thomas Jane. from Babel. Uh, yeah. And the woman who's like, Pie. the woman who's like, is anyone going to escort, because she, she's, the mist is closed in. They know they can't leave. This one woman is like, I have to get home. I left my baby with my eight-year-old and told her I'd be right back. I, I need to go home. She doesn't know how to take care of her. I just came here real quick. Isn't anyone going to walk me home? And, and nobody will make eye contact with her, and she's crying because she knows how, she's probably going to get killed, but she's got to try to get home. Uh, that's Melissa McBride. That's Carol from Walking Dead. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah, and she's so – I mean she, I think Melissa McBride is the uh, – this. Actually, for almost the entirety of the show, I think she's the best actor that that show has ever had. Yeah, that's probably she's true. She's really good, and she was a casting director in Georgia for a long time. I think she she knows acting from working with actors. Uh, that show, Walking Dead, does not deserve her. So she's in this clutch part where she has to be super emotional, uh, and at, at that point, I'm sure you've never seen her before, uh, and she's just really but, good, and it's great. Hey, this is Carol. She's going to get a major part in a huge TV show in a few years. But at the end, she's the one who wins because she's on the truck as the tanks drive by. So she she made the right call. That ending is so that ending is so dumb. Like once once the once the once the Serbian funeral music kicks in because that's what it is. Frank Darabont thought, hey, I'm gonna play Serbian funeral music at the end of the mist. Everything is is dumb. Like the right. ending is so dumb in the mist. The ending of the story is dumber than that, A. And B... I'm okay uh, with the I ending like... of the story. They just drive off into the mist. I mean, that's the way it should be. No, I like the idea that the hero made the wrong call. But it's so, so... Why? Even why? leaving the store was The fact dumb. that you like it, Kelly Wan, is one of the reasons. Is it's the sort of thing that you would like just because it's <laughs> subversive. For no good reason, it accomplishes <laughs> nothing except it's a, it's a reversal of what you would normally expect. For no good reason. No, I like it because a kid gets shot. Of course it's, you do. Of course you it's do. The kid, it's the kid from Babel, and he's a really good actor, and he has a really sweet face. Like you really, and he seems genuinely terrified throughout the movie. He's a really good actor. He's like, "Fuck the mess, dude. What the fuck?" He's like super freak. He's totally traumatized from it. And, yeah, and, and so you love it. that his father has to shoot him in the head at the end of the movie. You love that. Fuck yeah. For what That's purpose? It serves no purpose whatsoever, and he does it, it moments. Jane's like, "Damn it." <laughs> Yeah, because it's moments before he realizes that the National Guard, that the Army, the military has come to rescue him. Yeah, that's just a great – thanks, Frank Darabont. 
Well, no, uh, it makes the Thomas Jane character annoyed at himself. So I like that. As annoyed at himself. Annoyed. I'm annoyed. <laughs> oh, my timing. Rats. And he's in Dreamcatcher, too, and he's in 1922, so Thomas Jane's kind of the male Sternhagen of the Stephen King universe. So, let's see, he survived the mist to go on to be in Dreamcatcher and, uh, and uh, Deep Blue Sea. Yeah. <laughs> right. Another grocery store shark. Diggis, you weigh on on The Mist. You're our Stephen King apologist here. I have not seen The Mist. So what? Like... You read it, right? Oh. Of course, yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's a good uh, thing. Well, the movie has... Good I mean, story. Frank Darabont, he got the budget for an ensemble cast and a decent set. I mean, it, it helps, too, that it's the only set in the movie. Well, except for... It pretty Marcia much. Gay Harden stuff's horrible. It's terrible. So, yeah. uh, the Andre, the, even the William Sadler stuff, not believing him is terrible. Being a redneck yeah. is terrible. Yeah. Toby Jones is kind of fun as the stock boy who can like sh- shoot a gun. <laughs> like that's kind of cool. But otherwise, every character is terrible. Like all, Laurie Holden, all flirty with him is terrible. Uh, it, yeah, it's just. I oh, like God. when Sternhagen sprays the spider in the pharmacy. I like. Because that, that stuff is cool. Like the spiders. Like the monsters. That, exactly. Yeah. The spiders that shoot webs that burn you. Like, that's freaky. That's. that's Yeah. I the like the dumb. Totally I think you don't get horror movies, though. Because <laughs> dumbness. <laughs> <laughs> the dumbness. Like, they're no dumber than the Aterados characters, really. And you're kind of like. Um, Kelly Wan, that make, that's, that's objectively wrong. <laughs> no, it's not. The Aterados characters are like. Except for the cop, they're like, yeah, no, let's hang out. Andre Brower <laughs> thinking that they're thing. Andre Brower thinking that a supernatural mist has closed around the supermarket, but Thomas Jane is trying to prank him with cow's blood splashed around in the stockroom. That's dumb. That's the dumbest you could ever be in any movie. <laughs> That's pretty dumb. But also, Tom, there's also the line where Sherman from the American Pie they send him out in the back thing the first time. And Thomas is like, what? You're gonna do, why are we doing this? And then the kid makes him. He's like, come on, you're a pussy. I'm going to go out there. And he just gets annihilated. And then uh, another guy's all, well, that kid's – he's all like, uh, well, I told him not to go out there, even though you told him to go out there. And then Thomas Jane's all, he's a kid. He's supposed to be stupid. What's your excuse? See? Sick burn. Man, that's dialogue. Yeah. That's great Thomas dialogue. Thomas that guy. Wait, See, that's probably starts. straight out of the Stephen King short story, dialogue that good. So your number one's the mist. <laughs> My number one's grocery store. Step yeah. up. Just that that action scene because oh, it, it wait, makes great okay. use of a grocery store set. Wait, I thought your number one was bait. I was trolling you. No, by contrast, bait doesn't. It has a. It's trying to do this I thing see. by making a dramatic, t- terrifying action horror sequence in a grocery store, but it can't afford the set. It doesn't even try. Uh, so you Kevin Bacon step up to the mist for your number one. Well, I'm explaining <laughs> why I like the mist because as someone who likes Charlie horror Vincent. movies. Yeah. As someone who likes horror movies and who likes seeing uh, a set, like, like a set. supermarket, given a supernatural horror cast to it, uh, I that's my favorite use of a supermarket, of a grocery store. Because it's a great set. I was set, circling around scene. it. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So there you well, go. Did you, the, did you know they were – he wanted to show that in black and white and on the DVD? Yes, like, I did know that. Yeah. Did you watch the black and white? Is it better? No, no. I, I, don't, I Wait, think I Frank Darabont – I think, Darab- I think Frank Darabont about? is dumb. Uh, yeah, come on, anybody who who cut anybody who what put, else did he do besides the Mist and Shawshank? Uh, Green Mile. Uh, so he's done all the Stephen King. The, the Majestic, isn't that him, Dingus? The Majestic was Frank Darabont. I seen that. Oh, Green Mile, I couldn't stand. 
And he's uh, yeah. So I yeah, I, I agree, Miles. So Kelly, I want to rewatch The Mist, and then and then try to come back to me and tell me that every time someone says something, the movie doesn't plummet in quality. Because uh, that what's, that's uh, what happens. Anytime there's any human element in The Mist, it's terrible. But while it's monsters just chewing people up, that stuff aces. I love that stuff. I watched the Dawn of the Dead remake, and I was like, Yeah, don't do that. That's not a good doing. idea. That's yeah. But then I liked little things about it, and it's got Stamper from House of Cards in it as a, as a red security guard. Or something. Didn't Frank Darabont do some uh, television shows? That's what I'm thinking, Ding, is, is he probably went over to TV because he's such a bad movie Tom maker. hates television, even though it paid his bread and butter. <laughs> it puts you on the map as an actor, bro. Yeah, Come on, right. Twister, what are that you made doing? me. <laughs> yeah, you're a made man. Oh, well, Walking like Dead, of course. That's Frank Darabont, and that's the Melissa McBride connection. Oh, and, uh, you know what? Lori Holden and Wait, uh, he Dale. directed it? Right. No, he's one of the producers. Like, when it, it first, when it first started, he produced it. He might have directed a few episodes got it of made. it. Yeah, but he's the one who was uh, instrumental in getting it turned from a comic wow, book dumb. into a crappy Zombies. TV show. Yeah. Oh. Well, I hate Walking Dead, so actually, if you want to convince me Frank Darabont's dumb, you know, Walking Dead, Dead better than you've The Mist. Watched, you've watched every episode of it. Yeah, Kelly Wand. What what is it with you I guys? Bro- I don't watch it anymore. I broke up with it after season. <laughs> yeah, it Kelly Wand made the right choice. I'm the one who's still watching. Tom's the idiot, but I like hearing about it from Tom. Yeah. It's more interesting to me than watching it. I cannot I believe Kelly Wand watching it so now. I cannot believe that about five episodes ago, I wrote a little article saying how The Walking Dead got good again. Boy, that lasted for about two episodes, and now <laughs> it's just saying, you're awfully, you're awfully um, short term. There, like, were, there were two episodes where it was kind of cool again, and I was like, oh, it's turned around, and now it's just, just bad I'm gonna watch one fifth of The Wire and write a <laughs> long article about how great The Walking Dead that suddenly is, <laughs> because the whispering zombies are a hoax. I uh, love that twist. My name's Tom. <laughs> You just didn't like Rick, and you were so excited when Rick got written out that you wanted to like it. Like, yeah, this is the show I wanted. Fuck you, Rick Grimes. Huh. That's you. Well, That's my theory. Okay. I'll now you don't that. feel that way. Now you've changed. You've gone back to knowing. Kelly Wan, you know how I feel? Is that I feel I want to know what your favorite grocery store scene in a movie is. That's how I feel. Uh, my number one motion picture grocery store scene is from the movie Cobra, starring Sylvester Stallone. Mm, the opening. <laughs> yeah, do you remember it? Yeah. All right, really? I'm going to walk you through it. How do you and remember you... that? All I remember is him doing the reverse, like, going backwards during the car chase thing. It's kind uh, of, it's like a good, I think Stallone thinks it's like his Dirty Harry. It is. Uh, how, did you shoot three times or two times, Punk? Do you feel lucky, Punk? I think that okay. Stallone thinks that that's his scene. Right. Okay. Oh. So let's. So knowing that that's true, this is how. This is what happens <laughs> in that scene. So, and I, I'm a Dirty Harry fan. Like, I think that character's great, even though he's kind of dumb too. But he says actually genuinely cool shit. This is what Sylvester Stallone's Cobra is like compared to Dirty Harry. Comes in. He's driving a car super fast through the cops like they have to jump out of his way when he shows up and his like there's a close-up of his license plate and it says awesome 50 and without an e it's a-w-s-o-m 50 and i suspect that's how he really thinks it's spelled <laughs> but uh so they get out of the way and then his chief saw, you know, he's a liberal because he's wearing glasses. And the chief saw, I was against them bringing you here. I just want you to know that. 
and then that's all they say, and then Cobra is all. Uh. So then, without any talking about it, he tricks the criminal by going in the front door of the grocery store, but like walking on glass, but like acting like he's being really stealthy. And the guy's like in the butcher section at the back. So really, all the cops gonna come in. He's the the guy's not even watching the front door. And so then Cobra like shushes a hostage. And then he goes, he's wearing sunglasses too, by the way. And so he like tiptoes around the aisles and the killer's like in the back making his, like, I got a mom back here. I'm going to kill you all. He's like part of the cult. Businessmen are a part of. They like bang hammers and stuff. Doesn't he have like a match in his mouth? Yeah, he's right. Yeah, thank you, Dingus. That's a good point. I forgot about that. He's wearing, he's uh, chewing on a match stick. He doesn't smoke. He just chews because he could get going on fire anytime. So... He like goes down the aisle, and there's a part where he go. He looks around. There's like a uh, a thing of beers, like Coors, and <laughs> he looks, and he can see the guy is is yelling in a different direction. And Cobra has a clear shot at him, and he could actually just shoot him right then. But instead, <laughs> this happens. He takes up one of the beers and pops it open and starts drinking it. And he drinks one of the Coorses. Um, because, you know, buying shit's for libs, man. He makes his own rules. And then he puts the matchstick back in his mouth when he's done drinking. And he throws the cores as a decoy. And the guy shoots it. So he gives away his position. And then uh, he goes to the PA system. And Cobra gets on the PA. He's all, hey, dirtbag, you're a lousy shot. I don't like lousy shots. You wasted a kid. You're nothing. Now I think it's time to waste you. Then he gets off the PA. And then he go. There's. It turns out there's a back door to the butcher place. I guess <laughs> maybe he goes through another. He leaves the grocery store. Goes like out. He just like comes in the back door, and then the guy like still doesn't do anything. Kind of like Dirty Harry villains. They never just shoot him. He's like, I'll kill her. I got a bomb. He's got like a hostage. And then Cobra's all, Go ahead. I don't shop here. <laughs> Say more stuff. <laughs> That's actually a decent line. That's the one part I like. But the last thing he says, I think it's time to waste it. But then after he says, go ahead, I don't shop here. He goes, hey, say more stuff. I'm a sucker for good conversation. And then the guy's like, bring in TV cameras. And then Cobra's all, I can't do that. Why not? I don't deal with psychos, man. Okay, he's totally making, he just said he wants to hear him talk things. But then he goes, you're the disease, I'm the cure. And then he throws a knife because he has his hand behind his back. And then he shoots him too. And his gun has a cobra on it. That's my <laughs> Wow. So, but he, like, he contradicts himself six times. Like, instead of just shooting him, he goes, I think it's time to waste you. And then he makes him talk some more. That's not cool, man. And then the, and then the uh, chief gets mad at him. He's like, that guy had rights. Well, like, like shoves his face to the hood, and he's all, that victim had rights. Like a dead kid or something. Anyway, or dead kids. It's like a mini Cobra Opsis. That was great. <laughs> I think His it's the only part of the movie that's really worth having having an opsis, though. Yeah. It's not all that good, but Tom remembered it. Did you remember any of that? Good uh, not the beer, not the specific beer stuff. Just that it's it's supposed to be some dumb iconic character intro for how tough and uh yeah. and how tough him. he is against against crime and yeah. He's so tough. He walks in the front door and then right. I do remember beer. that. And, and I definitely around. remember the matchstick. I mean, yeah, Dingus is spot on. Oh, it's yeah. so badass, dude. Yeah. I want to grow up to be... I want to go into law enforcement. Or just chew a matchstick. I just want to chew a matchstick and look cool like that. Yeah. There's also a part where he's cleaning his gun, and there's like a Toys R Us Christmas commercial in the background. 
back from when The Shining and stuff, you'd see real TV. Right, real TV, yeah. Real motel art, like Scatman Crothers' picture at the motel, yeah. Motel art like Pam's when you made her cry. No, that, no nobody knows what that is. What's, um, Ding. What, what was the Die Hard movie with uh, – oh, gosh darn it. It's one with a kid called Masterminds, Patrick Stewart. It might have been Die Hard 2 where um, – Die Harder? Full title? Yeah. No, no. It was, I think it was Die Hard 3 actually. Oh, uh, uh, Live Free Die Hard? Continue. Die Hard with a Vengeance I think it was. Damn it. You're right. Um, <laughs> fuck. All right, continue. All right, right. it was a vengeance. Haha, ha, you remembered. Nerd. Who's the guy who played Klaus von Bülow? Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons. Yeah. Simon Says. Yeah. Da, 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 da. And, uh, and <laughs> Samuel Jackson's his buddy because they're, they're Pulp Fiction characters. He makes, and they're their unbreakable characters. He makes fun of a cop for having a toothpick in his mouth because he, he thinks it's more masculine to have a toothpick in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> John McClane. Damn it, McClane. Remember when uh, Jay Courtney's the son? It's no. totally believable. No. Dingus, what's the best grocery? You're the one who came up with the topic. You tell us, what's the best grocery store scene in all of movie? Do- oh, you already did. Hurt I Locker. did. Hurt Locker, yeah. All right, Hope what do the ready. listeners have? All right, so uh, Mark Doyle uh, just gives us a quick list. Uh, number one, go. Number yeah, two. Yeah, I thought about that one. Number two, career opportunities. <gasps> that's not oh! a grocery store. That's a target. I, foul. Put Mark Doyle in prison. Yeah, I'm afraid that was yeah, a department Yeah, they don't that's, sell food in that scene. That's a department store, isn't it? Just music. I mean, certainly if we did best department store scenes or best scenes where you put a quarter in the horse or best white tank tops. Yeah, of course those. Actually, is eating a corn dog while she rides the horse. So but, right, that's, that's, right, but that's the like food stand at the target. Rocking horses, they have at grocery stores, too. It's so not a rocking horse. What? Uh... <laughs> a rocking horse is different. That's something for little kids. <laughs> that thing where you put a quarter uh, okay. in, that's for Jennifer Connelly. Yeah, that's worth at least a quarter. Each. Uh, okay, so number three for Mark Doyle is Repo Man. Yeah! I almost, uh, see, I thought of that, but I didn't think anybody... Yeah, that, and you could also sing the 7-Up the theme song and not have to license it. Yeah, that's what the guy's saying. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That oh. era. But but and the funny thing is, is Alex Cox put everything in Repo Man. It's it's generic. Like when they get yeah. beer, it's just a can with the word beer on it. And I think that yeah. everything they're putting price tags on in the grocery store is all just generic stuff. Like that was the gag. But the guy yeah. is sitting there singing the Seven Up theme. Uh, Mark, that's a great pick. I thought about that, but didn't think anyone else would know what that was. Sweet. Really. Well, I, I mean, guys are our age only, know, know Repo Man, but who else? Are we the only ones Man? left alive of our generation? Are yeah. we the they which shall not grow old? Yep. Of the yep. Millennium? Repo yep. Man will be forgotten when we're gone, Kelly Wand. Do they remember, like, H.R. Puffin stuff? Uh, are we the only people who remember that? We might yeah. be. Do 70s? We don't even remember that. Happy Days is nostalgia. Okay. All right. Damn All right. It. So next we have Peter Haynes. Life's short. Just a singleton from me. I'm hurt, I'm pissed, and I gotta find a new job from Gross Point Blank. This yeah. is the way the Ultimart is is destroyed. Okay, well, this is a convenience store, but all right, fine. Dingus, <laughs> uh, don't come on, start throwing people in prison. <laughs> well, uh. I've already thrown Mark Doyle into prison for that second pick that you guys uh, rejected. Uh. 
between Martin Blank and Felix Lapubelle, a.k.a. some Basque whacker from the Perens, uh, packs of Twinkies and potato chips explode while the unaware assistant plays Doom on an arcade cabinet. Cabinet. Wow. Uh. John Cusack's face when he realizes there's a block of plastic explosive backing up a storm in the microwave right in front of him is a wonderful call. A fun scene from one of my favorite movies. Thanks for the podcasts. Um, so, Peter, uh, th- this is the convenience store that's put up outside his, like across the street from his house, maybe? Do you guys remember? It's closer than a Target. I don't. I thought it was in the town where he goes back. Or no, wait, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, it's where he goes back. I forget but, when it happens. But the convenience store goes up, like, at his, in his neighborhood. Uh, all right, anyway. Uh, next we have Daniel Ebert. Hey, fellas, below are my three favorite grocery store scenes, or at least the ones I could think of. Quote, let's shop. Movie, 28 days. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. Let's think about that one. Yep. Radiation. What's he say? Irradiated? No, he goes irradiated. Jim, Celine, and Frank and Hannah stop at a grocery store that is mostly untouched. It is a glimpse of the old world that has collapsed around them and one of the few truly joyful scenes in the movie. Well, I didn't think of this. I like this. Yeah, it's the last good thing that happens to Brendan Gleeson in that movie. It's one moment of happiness. Yeah. I forgot that they went into that produce. store. Yeah, I was yeah okay. I was th- I was thinking of the kid in the convenience store, but I didn't think about that. That's great. No, they're stoked when they see it, and everything's okay. rotten except. So next from Daniel Ebert is uh, a quote, Mister Gansky. Can you happen to have any Spreepwald pickles? <laughs> Crossing the movie, Delancey. The movie is Goodbye Lennon. Oh, old choice. Do you guys know Goodbye Lennon? Yeah. yeah. Daniel Brühl. Uh, When Alex goes to the grocery store after the Berlin Wall falls, he is faced with a surfeit of choice. Now that the Western goods are available, there's more than one option for virtually everything he wants to buy. However, knowing that his mother will be suspicious if she sees a new brand Mm. of pickles... He searches through dumpsters for jars of the old Eastern Bloc goods. Once home, he transfers the food to the used jars to keep up the pretense that East Germany is still part of the Soviet bloc. Sounds good. Uh, Daniel Ebert's next or last is, quote, need or want both. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Oh, man. I didn't think of that. Yeah, this is a good choice, Daniel. Uh, This is from the movie Leave No Trace. Because that's where, like, she's the parent. That's so cute. Yeah. Yeah. Need or want both. Kelly Uh, Want, can we we run this again? I'm going to ask you, can it cook a (laughs) mushroom? And I need you and your best Ben Foster to say it should cook a mushroom. Are you ready? Uh Uh-huh. All right. Can it cook a mushroom? It should cook a mushroom. <laughs> I worry I get, I'm going to get stuck talking like that. You already are. I know. I know. Will, will, 
and Tom go to the grocery store to buy essentials during their trip into the city. A candy bar is the only luxury they afford themselves. Who plays Ben Foster in it? <laughs> you should, yeah. Kelly Watt. Yeah. I'm his audio stunt double. Uh, Arthur Giovanginelli. Yeah. Number three, The Hurt Locker. Yeah. Jeremy Renner, recently back from defusing bombs in the Middle East, walks through a grocery store with his wife. When he is set to go get some cereal, he just stares blankly at the shelf for a while, barely able to process his new environment. And on that day. Number two, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, This was on my list, too. Thank you, Arthur. Oh, thank you, Arthur. I'm so happy you chose this. Uh, after Mr. Fox and his companions have rescued Christopherson and met the wolf, they tunnel into a grocery store run by Bogus Bunts and Bean after they look at the food in awe to the tune of Old Man River, they start eating like crazy and dancing as the credits begin to roll. I'm so happy somebody chose this. Thank you, Arthur. Oh, I didn't even know this one. Arthur, Arthur's number one is The Wrestler. Oh, this is a good choice. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Where he works. Burke's day job is working in the where in the warehouse of a grocery store. No, he's just the he's behind the meat sandwich. Oh, I think he's he gets the, moved to the meat counter. Yeah, he, he's a butcher, like isn't he? Like working in like the butchery se- section. Well, he's like a yeah, like he's slicing the the meat, the lunch meat for the ladies who want yeah, lunch yeah, meat, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, but after his heart attack, he gets moved to the deli counter. All right, fine. All right. So he he's working oh, right. warehouse and then deli. That's the word I was trying to think of. Yeah, very yeah. good. Right. Yeah. In the middle of a rough day, he is recognized as Randy the Ram, and becomes so agitated by this that he cuts his finger on a meat slicer. Mm. He then goes crazy and knocks a bunch of stuff down in the store and even shoves his boss to the ground. It's a pretty intense scene that makes me miss pre-Noah Aronofsky. <laughs> yeah. Hear that, Kelly One? He's throwing shade on Mother. <laughs> well, Noah's the New Testament Aronofsky, ironically. Uh, next we have uh, Alexander Burns. Hey, Ding Dongs. He's calling us Ding Dongs. Real quick, thanks for recommending Border. What a delightful treat that will certainly make my top ten of 2018 Whatever, whenever I get around to that. Uh, l- sorry, it's a 2017 movie. Oh, no, no, wait. I'm sorry. Two th- right. It is 2018, right? It was last year. Not eligible for this year. Just letting, letting right. folks know. So Alexander Burns' only pick for this week is Michael Mann's Manhunter. Uh, my brother... Uh. PJ and I had quite a heated disagreement on whether Manhunter or Red Dragon is a better movie. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I think I can answer that for you. Brett Ratner. Although, oh, Kelly Wand, is that true? Yeah. Red Dragon is... Oh. I know. Think about All right. it. All right. Okay. Well, that's an open and shut case. Fair enough. I win. Um, Even though Michael... That's pre... Um, Pre Anthony Hopkins. Michael Mann. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember who plays Hannibal Lecter in that? Brian Cox. Fine. Come on. What? (laughs) He's so hard, dude. I saw. I I was there when it happened. 
Yeah. <laughs> God, Hannibal Lecter, bro. This character should be in something else. So uh, Alexander Burns says, I read the book. <laughs> That's how serious I was about it. Oh, I read he, all those books. Are you kidding? He's a good writer. Mm. I think. He was, pre, Pre-Hannibal? I like was, Hannibal. Yeah, he was good pre-Hannibal. It's crazy. He's wacky. It's wacky. Like, he's like, all right, you want a, you want a book about fucking Hannibal? Fuck you people. So he writes that. <laughs> yeah. He's trolling you. I like that. It felt Shows like commitment. he was... <laughs> it felt like a parody of himself, actually. You know, what are you going to do with him? You got to do something crazy at that point. So Alexander Burns goes on to say, one of my points dealt with the humanity or rather sensitivity of Detective Will Graham in Manhunter. Some find the scene of Will and his son Kevin in the grocery store a bit cheesy, but I felt, but it felt very appropriate to me. Will has a heart to heart with Kevin while walking down one of the aisles. After Will broadly explains how this job can give him dark thoughts, there's a brief silence. Kevin nonchalantly asks, what kind of coffee is it, is it you like, Dad? And they continue down the aisle as Will slightly smiles and puts his arm around his son. Ah, see? Or dingus. If you would further like to discuss why Manhunter is such a better movie than Red <laughs> Dragon... <laughs> You know What's where to good find in Red me. Dragon? Maybe the first scene a little bit, where he and Ed Norton killing a scene. But he's—it's like Wet Hot American Summer because Hannibal's supposed to be young in Red Dragon, and he's old, like ten years after Silence of the Lambs. So Alex says it's hard for him to believe that there's actually such a debate. Yeah, who uh, would? I think no one. Well, Tom didn't know about Ratner. So. Yeah. So you know, you can't unknow it. Yeah, Next, that is true. Next, we have a, a listener named Dan Winningham. Uh, hello, friends. Just won this week, and I am certainly I am certain it has already been picked. Jeremy Renner buying cereal in the Hurt Locker. I am stuck again on watching his face as he stands before what seems miles upon miles of boxes of breakfast cereal, understanding that this is a world he can no longer exist within. Catch yeah. you at the roof, the refugee safely. Very nice, Dan. Um, so everybody gets that scene. That sign of well-made movie. Yeah, there's no least common denominator. Everyone well, understands. I think it's. Locker's good. I think it's the it, it, apotheosis. It's, it's weirdly the climax of the movie. Yeah, it's, it's a weird climax. You feel like him during the scene. That's how good the movie is. You're like, God, grocery store. Well, the, well that would be weird. <laughs> There's so much action going on, and the and the moment of the movie that's the crux of the movie is him standing in a grocery store aisle not being able to decide what to do. Right. Uh, and there's this great moment. And you relating. Where yeah. he, he walks – he throws the – throws, he throws things in the cart, which is – you know, I'm really careful about those types of things. He throws the box of cereal in the cart, and then he, he just – smacks one of those like uh promo things that are hanging you know those promo things that hang off the side of the aisles in the grocery store he just smacks one of them he just not what those are for (laughs) (laughs) improper use of a promo item yeah Yeah. Yeah, it's an r-rated movie hurt locker all right so chris webb is next i won't pick a pudding related one because i'm sure it's already been covered always cover pudding 
Uh, number three for Chris Webb is Ladybird. Mm. All right. Dingus probably did pick this one, too. I didn't. Chris, I totally missed this one. Chris. Ah, you kicked my ass. Whether you need to stuff a magazine down your pants or remind your friend not to be a Republican, this is the store for you. <laughs> right, that's where her brother's uh, girlfriend works, right? Yeah. Shelly, was that her they, name? They both work there, <laughs> don't they? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, and the brother, yeah. Uh, it's the Arnold's. That's great. Uh, Chris Webb's number two is something called Cashback. Oh, wait. Is this Keely Hazel? I don't Never know. mind. There's one where she's naked in a grocery store. The hallucinatory properties of insomnia. Chris, could you make it more difficult for me to read your words? Uh, the hallucinatory properties of insomnia are what? brought to life in this knobtastic movie about a supermarket <laughs> graveyard shift. Well, it's British, so they probably call it a cheeky wanker shift in the old bob of your troppy, trolley shot. <laughs> that is Keely Hazel in 2006. Uh, she's like 20, I guess. Right? Keely Hazel is in this? Yeah, naked. Or uh, topless. I know. She's man. incredible. Yeah, she is. She'd be All so right. boring. You want to throw out a movie car. But God damn it. There's a part in Horrible Bosses, too, where she just walks in and then yeah. walks out again. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. Chris Pine's all, yup. Um, my character's having sex with that. Okay, anyway, next on to the next scene. Uh, like that's yeah. just setting remember, up the Chris Pine characters. I remember talking Keely about Killy Hazel on the uh, on the podcast and Tom going, "Who's that?" and then looking it up and going, "Oh." And you going, "Calendars." <laughs> <laughs> I remember that quote. <laughs> no, she's her and Kelly Brooke, but Keely Hazel. Yeah, I don't know. She's uh, an unforgettable visual. Yeah. Uh, Chris Webb's number one, funny ha-ha. While browsing at the local grocery store, Marcy runs into some friends who remark (laughs) on the fact that her basket only contains hot pepper, raspberry preserves, and tampons. Ah, perfect three. I've just... I've just started, she says, with a laugh. But, uh... Which one? But, yeah, but... I mean, maybe we should. I should stop right there. She chuckles awkwardly. That's all. God, he's seen movies I've never heard of. Ha ha! Have you? What is it? Do you know what ha-ha. funny ha ha is? No, I don't. Do you? What is it? it? I don't know. It's called funny ha ha. Oh, you made it sound like you're tricking us. Nope. Guys, you haven't heard of funny ha ha? Said it like that. Nope. Okay. Chris Webb. All right. Next week. He doesn't have... want to spoil it. He thinks we've seen it. I've not it. seen Funny Ha Ha. Oh, it's a good title. All right, I'll watch it tonight after uh, Thelma. What is it? What's my, what am I watching? Scream? <laughs> All right. All right jo- Sorry. Next Continue. we have, uh, finally we have Josh Lubliner. Uh, now, this here grocery store scene I'm about to unfold for you was made back in the late 90s, just about the time of our conflict with Bill, Con- Bill Clinton and Ken Starr. I only mention it because sometimes there's a man in a grocery store. I won't say a hero. Uh huh. Yeah, I see about this. Because what's a hero? But sometimes there's a grocery store scene, and I'm talking about the Big Lebowski here. Sometimes there's a grocery store scene, and it's a scene for the three by three. It fits right in there, and that's the Big Lebowski opening <laughs> grocery store scene. 
And, and it's, it's even, not that Sam Elliott. Do you guys remember it's a specific grocery store too? That do you Ons? remember what it is? No, what is it? It's Ralph's. He's is at the it Ralph's, Ralph's? <laughs> and it shows him writing a check to Ralph. <laughs> oh, I, I don't remember that. And it's that. for sixty-nine cents. Yep, for the yeah, buttermilk. The half and half. No, it's buttermilk. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's for the half half for the white Russians. Doesn't nope, he, buttermilk. Is, nope. He goes no, in because I just watched it, Kelly Wan. Because it, it's nope, it's buttermilk. I just watched it. He he picks up two buttermilks. He looks at them. He puts one back, opens up the other one, drinks out of it, and then it cuts to him writing a sixty-nine oh. cent check to Ralph. Sixty-nine. Doesn't make any sense that it's buttermilk because it's half and half for butter. For well, he uh, just he's not he's not using it for white Russians. He's just going to Ralph's to get a drink of buttermilk. <laughs> like he drinks it oh. there in the aisle out of the carton. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing too that struck me rewatching that, and I could get sucked up into watching Big Lebowski just just at the drop of a hat. But um, Philip C. Hoffman is so such an amazingly dynamic actor. The early bit where he is leading the dude in to see uh, the the actual Big Lebowski guy, just his mannerisms and what he's doing with the dialogue and his facial tics and how he responds to Tara Reid's offering to suck his cock for a thousand dollars to the to the dude. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Man, Philip Seymour Hoffman was so good in that. And also the, uh, in um, Punch Drunk Love. Just super conscious of what a loss that is. That oh, we lost yeah. Him. him on the phone. I mean, phone work is hard to do. And that phone stuff between the two of them and it, just how threatening he is. I mean, he's – Well, how it, how it comes down to them nose to nose. Like that, yeah, that whole scene and you don't know what Paul Thomas Anderson is going to do with that scene and, you know – Philip Seymour Hoffman is bringing it, <laughs> and it's yeah. you know Adam Sandler is great and all, but he's no Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, and just the fact that he holds his own up against him is is pretty admirable. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why it's an interesting matchup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goliath actor. Um, but even because when he was cast as Brant in in Big Lebowski, like it's a throwaway clown part. Uh, and you, you basically shouldn't notice the actor necessarily because he's just doing the funny dialogue that the Coens have written him. But Philip Seymour Hoffman just won't let it go at that. Like he's just so uh, playful with what with, you want what a manly handshake. <laughs> uh, what does he do? I, I haven't seen Big, Big Lebowski in forever. What's the character? He's just the he's just the assistant to the rich guy who is leading the uh, the dude in to see the the rich guy because because Big Lebowski the dude gets his carpet peed on and John Goodman says well obviously they went wanted to see the rich Lebowski guy you should go talk to him. That's so, Ben Gazzara. No, trying, no, Ben Gazzara is like later in the movie. It's the guy in the and he's in a wheelchair. He's some character actor. I don't know him, but uh, he basically just yells at the dude and says, "You know, fuck you. I'm not giving you any money." And so the dude walks out of the office, and Brant says, "How did the meeting go?" And <laughs> Jeffrey just says, "Oh, I think it went pretty well. He just told me to take any carpet I wanted." <laughs> and then it shows him like walking out with a bunch of guys carrying a new carpet for him. Yeah. But it's just that, that Philip Seymour Hoffman is so, it's, it's such a meticulous performance, like where he'll repeat a line to show that he's nervous or how he'll grin, or he's even doing something like where his nostrils are pulsing nervously at a certain point. Ah. Uh, he's just such a skilled actor. I just, just watching him in that and, and knowing, I mean, at that point you have no idea what he's going to go on to do, but knowing what he's going to go on to do and seeing him playing with this little comedic part, uh, it's just, I think it's Buggy Nights cool. and Happiness were like the same year, even. So it's like I saw him at like weeks apart. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That guy. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I didn't notice him in Twister that much, to be honest. I mean, you shouldn't notice anyone in Twister. It's just a bunch of dumb yeah. CG and poor writing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, bad writing. Yeah. 
So anyway, Josh just says, and even if this is the most picked movie for the three by three, it was Josh. You you got it. Um, it is most certainly that it would place it high in the running for most picked movie in three by three worldwide. But <laughs> sometimes there's a grocery store scene. Sometimes there's a grocery store scene. Uh, I lost my my train of thought there. Ah uh, hell, I've introduced it enough. And I only have one pick this month anyway. <laughs> Parts of one anyway. Yeah. So that's all we got. Do you guys have any uh, runners-up? Dingus, I thought you were going to pick the one from the writer. Do you remember where Brady Jandro is uh, the, the, the young kid comes up to him and says, I really like your, your, your riding, you know, stick with it. What are you doing working here? Do you know what I'm talking about, that scene in the writer? Yeah, uh, absolutely. There's a couple of them, but I, I kind of thought that was drugstores, but I don't know. No, at the – oh. I, I thought it was a supermarket, but you might be right. Okay. I don't know. I still don't uh, trust Tom on the buttermilk. Uh, no, I, t- t- Kelly Wan, because I no, because I'd been I'd been watching to see what cereal uh, Jeremy Renner was getting, and I couldn't figure that out. So I wanted to make dang sure to figure out what the dude drank, and it definitely why would it says he be buttermilk. Buttermilk. <laughs> I thought he was getting half and half price. for his white Russian. Yeah, I thought that was the setup. Well, you guys go back and watch Big Lebowski. You're you're saying you read the label on the carton and it said buttermilk? It's one of those big old, like, lucerne printed. It's just printed across the length of the carton. The word buttermilk. can't mistake it. Yep, it's buttermilk. You're not going by, like, the texture of the milk in his bus. (laughs) (laughs) That's clearly buttermilk. Um, I mean, maybe at Ralph's they sell half and half in buttermilk cartons. I don't know. But he drinks out of a carton that's clearly labeled buttermilk. Buttermilk sounds fucking. I mean, the thing is, the dude just likes dairy. No, dude likes dairy. (laughs) Uh, I also loved. um, I I did love the opening scene in uh, A Quiet Place. Yeah, well, that Uh, was that a grocery store though? Because they sold toys. That was a drugstore. I don't know because there's there's toys and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So I did. I didn't pick that, but uh, Zombieland was the other one. Yeah, not so much. It's kind of uh, routine, like it's just picking up props in a grocery store. Yeah, well, yeah, and then just having like a simple kill and then having like a plot piece. There's not a reason to be in the drugstore. Yeah, Um, it's not an idiosyncratic store. Right, exactly. And what I was going for was like, why are we specifically in this particular kind of store? And and that's why I I particularly liked – I liked Arthur's choice of Fantastic Mr. Fox because when they tunnel up and they get all that stuff, I mean, there's a reason that it's a grocery store. There's a reason that this is the store. Uh, and, and all, you know, I mean, you can talk about like the good girl who I think works in a grocery store. Um, uh, but uh, I guess a quiet place, you, you can't really do it because it, well, I really don't think it's a grocery store. I'm pretty sure I they're like in right. a drugstore yeah. and they're cause they're looking for drugs or like I think it's clearly they're they're raiding a drugstore that's been pretty much tapped out. I see. Yeah, I think you're right, Tom. Yeah. Uh, but at least the set is better than the the grocery store in Bait. I'll give them that. Now I'll it, tap out to cash back and Bait. In the beginning what? of Z for Zachariah, is that a grocery store? Uh, I don't think so. There's a library. I don't, uh, it's a good question, Dingus. It might be. That's back when the dog was still in the movie. Ah, right. 
So uh, I, I really like the 28 Days Later pick for being the the quintessential, because this is something that apocalypse movies deal with a lot. Hey, wouldn't it be cool if you were in a store and you could do whatever you want and take anything off the shelves that you want? And I think Danny Boyle just plays with that very nicely at that one little joyous moment in 28 Days yeah. Later. So I'm super glad someone wrote in with that. The one that uh, came to me, do you guys remember the grocery store scene and the significance of it in Fruitvale Station? Yes, I, know, I do, because he calls I his don't. mom. There's the, the woman, there's the white woman at the counter buying fish, and he calls his mom to ask about the recipe, uh, and he, oh. he has this great rapport with this, this, this girl shopping, because he's gone there to get his job back, and his boss is like, sorry, he can't have it, and on his way out, he helps this woman pick out fish for a dinner that she's cooking, uh, and Kelly Wan, do you remember the payoff, the payoff for that? Uh, no. You, when, I will when you say it. Well, when he's on the subway where a fight breaks out and the transit authority guys end up killing him, uh, it's because uh, he sees the woman that he m- met at the grocery store on the subway. And he's talking to her, and her friends don't like that, and it starts the fight. Right. It, it basically gets him killed. Like uh, Ryan Coogler decency. kind of uh, said that this – exactly, that it was his decency at the grocery store that ended up getting him killed – uh, in yeah. the subway, like it kind of, he creates this tragic framework that begins with uh, him meeting Katie in, in the grocery store that he used to work at. I'm assuming that's a real thing too that happened. Well, it's I so specific. I think it's like it, if like, that's like faked, it'd be weird. <laughs> I think it's faked. Like I, I think Ryan really? Coogler wrote this thing. Same with you know stuff with the dog too, like rescuing the dead dog. I really do think there's a lot of liberties just taken in terms of telling the story of the last day of this guy's life. But going into someone you don't like, I would never do that. I would never talk to a stranger at a grocery store and help them. <laughs> like even a- well, he's used to working there. Like he's a, he's someone who works there, right, and that's kind of right, his job. Yeah. So as he's leaving, even though he's not still employed, you know, you might be right. But I was just assuming that Oscar Grant, that the the day to day details of Oscar Grant's last day alive uh, were made and were Ryan Coogler sort of crafted a story around that rather than made a. a re- Creation I mean, it's a it. great scene, and it's yeah, you know. And I mean, I don't even I don't even know if there really was like if the fight was precipitated over him talking to a white woman on the subway. Like I don't I don't know if that's that... the thing. If it either was or it wasn't, and it's very covered in the I don't know. Now I'm curious. Okay. What do you yeah. mean you would never talk to somebody in a grocery store? People talk to me in grocery stores all the time. Well, a they're all talking in German and mine, but uh, all right. Even then, I don't I don't like stranger like i'm not interested in their lives or i'm i'm not shoes. either but they I mean, want they're sh- competing I'm competing with them for the line at the front i think that's why it's like being in traffic yeah. All right. <laughs> they're I your mean, they're your opponents yeah hey there's a great <laughs> parking space right up here i'm about to take it hey asshole like that'll happen kelly Wan, do you remember a grocery store scene in animal house yeah that was my other i was about to say that because i remember as a kid happens. thinking i think i understand what's going on here i think i get that i watched <laughs> I it stressed out I don't remember. He's got the cucumber and he's hitting on the dean's wife. Uh, uh, well, there's also he's stealing a bunch of meat, and the guy's like totally loading him up, so it's obvious. Like he's got like six thousand. Oh right, right. I was thinking more of the the coat. dick joke with the cucumber. <laughs> like, yeah, there's yeah. that. But then the cashier's like, "Hey, you gained a little weight since you came." In. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Hey, you want to go to a party tonight? She's all yeah. <laughs> and I think she's the fourteen-year-old or whatever she is. She's chewing gum. Like that's that's the setup for that character. Oh like oh oh right. And then sure. he has sex with her in the football field. You could do that in movies back then. 
And that's the joke. Exactly. There's it's the opposite of redemption. She turns out to be 14, and then that's the end of that whole storyline. Like he's all, huh? You know, like you be, I don't think you see his reaction. Like the pan is, oh yeah, I had sex with a 14 year old by accident. She had Kleenex in her bra. Comedy. Those were the days. And Thanks, then, John Landis. John Landis. And then the Playboy chick lands on the kid's bed. During the parade. Oh, and, and thanks, right? Doesn't he say thanks, God, or something? Yeah, he goes, thank you, God. <laughs> that got a huge laugh. I'm just saying. It's that National Lampoon happen. for you. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Hashtag B2. Uh, other picks for favorite grocery stores. What else did, did you guys have runners up? There were a lot of good ones. It's a pretty fertile topic. I did my. Uh, I did all my runners. Up. All right. So next month, the three by three topic will be your favorite one-eyed characters. We saw the favorite recently, Wait, what? and there's monsters. Yep. So we saw the favorite recently, and there's a moment where uh, Rachel Weiss sustains an injury and has this cool like lace. It's not quite an eye patch. It's just a bandage. But it got me thinking of cool eye patches, like characters with one eye. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about in a month. Our three How appropriate three are your three for... favorite one I care? Yes, Kelly Wand? Well, I was going to say, because Captain Marvel. But... She has one eye? Well, no, but. Don't say anything. Don't Security. stop. What? Stop, stop talking. Have you seen Avengers? So if you stop. have, if you have uh, any picks for your favorite one-eyed characters, send them to 3x3 at quarter2three.com. Get those to us by... Uh, when are we doing these, you guys? The first Sunday or the last Sunday of the month? The last it Sunday of the month. It used to be last. And we've all, we've Get those to us it. by March 31st, midnight Pacific, and uh, we'll read them on the air. Send them to 3x3 at quarter2three.com. Spell out the word quarter2three.com. Kelly Wand, what movie should we see next week? Liam Neeson. <laughs> Kelly Wand, I didn't ask any dog in the room. I'm asking you, uh, the human being. <laughs> Let's see a movie about a lady, comic book lady, but not as revealing an outfit. But uh, well, we don't know how revealing the outfit is, so we'll find out when we see Cap- when we see Captain Marvel. If you guys see it, let us know what you what you think. Send your comments to three x three at quarter to three dot com. Get those to us by midnight Pacific, March tenth. Uh, and you figure out on your own the whole daylight savings time math because I'm going to be uh, confused when's that? anyway. Uh, never mind. We'll March tenth. Yeah. So. Not, yeah, but when's mine? That's more important than what you're uh, talking Kelly about. Kelly Wand, you'll have to ask. Uh, you'll have to ask. A ch- I'm sure there's Angela a chancellor Merkel. that you call. Yeah, call I'll ask someone at the grocery store. Yeah, there you go. They'll tell you that. I'll there. ask my black friend. So join us for our Captain Marvel podcast <laughs> next week. I'm Tom Chick. I've been wait, wait, with... wait. Yep. Say something about the sweepstakes. Oh, you already did. Never mind. Uh, I've been here with Christian <laughs> Malaski. <laughs> it's Christian Malaski. And Kelly Wand. These podcasts sound like bad dates. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees when I'm caught in between counting. One, two, three, feet apart, matter Hey, every time uh, characters on the Scream TV series uh, kiss, music plays. I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have, what, eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Aurigai 6? Is that a question, yes, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. I feel angry with you, God. Why are you doing this to me? What do you want? You think spies tiptoe? They walk things. You eat them. <laughs> <laughs>